Hyperscape, more like hyper fail. Aloy, PS5 heroin or PS4 menace? <laughs> Hello there, and uh, welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Back, and alongside me today, missing in the spot directly beside me, as you will not see, uh, is Mr. Solomon, who's out spending time with family, doing late Christmas stuff. Uh, but I am joined by the one and only renowned Christopher Figs. Chris, Hi. how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm here, as I've as I established earlier. I'm yeah. here. Uh, and that's okay. I'm going to rock your body anyway. Um, we have some stuff to talk about today. But if you are new to the podcast, of course, then welcome. This is PlayStation Podcast, but we talk about gaming as a large. So uh, depending on who you are and what you want, hopefully we can fit your gaming news and information and opinion needs. But we like to start this show off the right way for us, which is nice and cordial and courteous and giving the listeners an idea of what we've been up to and playing. So Chris, please expound all the details of your time this week with one Sekiro. Shadows die uh, twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> More I'm like playing. shadows die 3,280 times, right? Oh, so many times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been playing a lot of Sekiro. I'm enjoying it way more than I expected to kind of like I was saying to my friends yesterday, we were in party chat and I was playing and I was like, I really expected to stop playing this by now. <laughs> I expected you to stop playing this by now. You were like, I'm going to go for the second row platinum. I was like, give it three days. Chris will be done. <laughs> yeah, no, I've made a lot of progress. I, uh, well, let me rephrase. I haven't made a lot of progress <laughs> because, well, there's that fight with uh, Genichiro at the beginning Yep. Where you have to, the second fight with him. Yeah, I skipped that. Um, and I played halfway through the Sunken Valley, halfway through other things. I beat most of the mini bosses, like far under leveled. Um, and I was having a lot of trouble. And my friend was just like, Yeah, I think you're just playing it wrong. Go beat Genichiro. So I did that. And then. Yeah, so I put like 30 hours, and a lot of that was me banging my head against enemies I shouldn't have been fighting yet, but made me feel pretty good because I beat them all. So <laughs> Yeah, the weird thing about soft, from soft games is that there really isn't a wrong order to do anything in, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a far harder order to do things. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like most of the games are set up. There are, of course, some bosses that are like you have to beat them in a linear order because for them to even appear. But then there are bosses where it's like, oh, well, yeah, you can just completely skip those bosses and go to this one and then come back to this one later. Uh, or like the old Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne bosses that are completely like they're bosses, but they're mm-hmm. not required to beat the game at all. So you're just <laughs> yeah. like running around and you're like, here I am. Spending, you know, this is my 30th time fighting the defiled Amagdala, and it, I don't even have to. <laughs> oh, I hate that fight. Now, of course, you don't fight that 30 times. You do that once and you're done. You never touch it again. No, Thankfully, no, it's in the Chalice Dungeon. I fought that at least 100 times. Oh, dude, no. I, I Yeah, whenever I was doing Platinum running, going for it, I, it probably took me about 50 to 60 runs. And I was, mm-hmm. I, I was yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, it may, I don't know. I really like Sekiro. Sekiro is really good. Like I'm having yeah. a lot of fun playing Sekiro. I do need to go back to Sekiro, but um, yeah, it's it's 
I'm torn because it feels like a game I've already put a little time into and then uh, it just hit that point of frustration plus other stuff coming out that I bounced away from it. Mm-hmm. But it's like I have all these different things. Like you have Elden Ring coming and I want to play that. And then you have, uh, of course, Horizon coming as well and I want to play that. You have things like Dying Light 2 that I'm interested in trying along you, saw, you guys. Yeah. So it's like there's a there's an immediate wall of games coming in a time period where I've been like in a weird gaming funk and not really playing much of anything besides games I can turn on and just autopilot like destiny or halo or whatever. Like you just play them, but you don't really have to think play. about what you're doing or yeah. why you're, yeah, you just, you're just playing. Uh, it's like, I'm feeling time. I don't know what else to do. So these are like easy go-tos. Right. Um, so when you have that stuff going on, and I, you're wanting me to play Persona 5, right? And I'm not at this point. I'm genuinely willing to play Persona 5. But I said, like when I when I said that the other day, I mean that. I, there's no way I'm starting Persona 5 Royal right now when those two games are coming up. Now, if I get one of those two, like part part of why I say that, right, is that we all know that Persona 5 is long. Yeah. The problem is Elden Ring is at least 30 hours to beat the main story let alone everything else. Horizon is probably going to be much like God of War and Horizon Original, where it's like probably a 30 to 50 hour game. So that's 100 hours of gaming right there. And I, if it was one or the other, like if it was just Elden Ring coming out, I would probably start playing Persona because then I could, it's two games to bounce between. But I'm not going to bounce between Persona, Horizon, and Elden Ring. Three vastly different games from each other that are all long. It's not happening. Instead, I want to go through Horizon, and then maybe once I start Elden Ring, when Horizon's done, yeah, then I can do Elden Ring and Persona. So that's not that far off. You, know? you just need to play Persona. You really do. You need to at least try it. Am I? You, you own it digital, right? So I, I do. don't have to pay money to come into well P five Royal, right? I'm not starting P five. No, I would think no that's insane. Yeah. So, but no, because P five, everyone has on PS Plus if you have a PS five. PS Plus yes. collection, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I thought. Cowards yeah. couldn't have just went ahead and included Royal. <laughs> yeah, it's a for bad shame. choice. Bad choice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do think I'm going to go for the Sekiro Platinum. It, it has me wanting to go back for Dark Souls, Dark Souls 1, Demon Souls. But I played some of Dark Souls Remastered this week, and I was like, I don't like this. This isn't did nearly you, as fun. Did you play Demon Souls uh, remake at all? Yeah, I didn't beat it though. I got to like the okay. second world. It's like a oh, desert yeah. or something like that. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you you start outside of the cave and it's yeah. real, yeah, real clay colored mm-hmm. mountains and all that, and then you go in. Yeah, where you, you the, the the fat officials, as I call them, yes. the dudes with like the top hat and the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was I was joking with uh, Sean, who we played Destiny with, and I was like, I'm gonna do Sekiro, Demons, Dark Souls three. Uh, or Sekiro, Demon Souls, Dark Souls Three, Dark Souls Two, Dark Souls Remastered. Then I'm gonna do Dark oh, Souls on. Two on PS3, Dark Souls One on PS3, oh, Demon Souls on PS3. <laughs> oh god, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. More importantly, you chose absolutely the worst title with Demon Souls. If you're talking about platinuming each one of these, to immediately follow up Sekiro with because the oh, world tendency stuff is completely nuts. Also, oh, your camera is frozen for me, but I can hear you, so we're just going to keep trucking on. And we'll it's see what happens. Me, so. All right, well, we'll just see what happens with uh, Zencaster. Um, well, okay, nothing changed. Anyway, moving along. Um, so that's literally all you've been playing, though, right? 
Uh, I played a little bit of uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Arceus. Oh, you picked it up? I did. Yeah, I got sucked into the hype train as usual. <laughs> I just I thought I remembered you thinking that you were going to wait a little bit. Like you were excited for it, but you were going to wait. I was. I might and be then it got up with someone very else. good okay. reviews, and I was like, ah, damn it. It did get very good reviews. I'll give you that. But it also went from like, and there's some screenshots and video sections where I'm like, you know, it doesn't look great, but that's it's got a charm to it in this area when it's like small and focused and there's like a hill with a tree and you're like, okay, mm. this is closed enough that everything looks okay. But then you get to these areas where it's like wide open and yeah. you're up on top of a hill and there's just like a downward prairie and like a big ocean and that game looks like garbage it in those moments. It doesn't look good, but it's like... The now, def- if the game is good, if the game is good, then fine. But when I saw that, I thought, is, is this a PS2 open world? This looks like a repeating like water sprite on top, like, texture on top of this surface. Oh, it is. Like, I've seen, I've seen better-looking Dynasty Warriors PS2 games. Yeah. No, it doesn't look good at all. But it's the, but. It's the king of... <laughs> it is the uh, prime example of gameplay is king, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, in some areas it's not so bad, but it just really shows you that Game Freak is not positioned for open world level design, like actual world design. That's not something that they've had to do enough, clearly. Uh, they've never really had a game, right? The biggest areas they had were like the the um, wild area in Sword and Shield, which I, I think you played Sword and Shield, correct? I did, yeah. Yeah, and those areas weren't that big or impressive either, but they were still small enough that you could be like, ah, you know, it looks fine. Uh, but seeing them actually go into a large area, it's like, oh, did y'all just like not hire? Did you not think to hire someone whose speciality was doing this? Like, you have all these Monster Hunter Pokemon style games. Why don't you just go to one of them and go, hey, can we get one of you Monster Hunter uh, world design people to come over here and help us with yeah. this, please? Oh, my old boss always said that uh, they should just contract Monolith. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. I guess, yeah, just be like, hey, Xenoblade team, come make this. They have the money. <laughs> I don't know. I think it looks fine. <laughs> it looks it as looks fine, fine as... It, if I'm being honest, it looks as fine as I would have expected a, a, a very, not open world technically, but large open area Pokemon game to look. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's just weird because so many of the Pokemon games on even like 3DS and stuff looked great because they'd been making that style of world design forever. So like Pokemon X and Y are so they look great to me and they're really charming and their art style mm-hmm. really works in their favor. And the moment you start lifting that camera way up and then putting it way back, it's like, Oh, they don't know how to account for this. They don't know how to account for a, like a Vista because the Pokemon games didn't have wide landscapes to look at. You had, you designed for what makes the most interesting route, what makes the most interesting town layout. And it worked well within that, but Oh, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been playing, um, 12 minutes. Um, I haven't played in a few days now, but I'm playing it strictly God-free, as you should. If you're playing a game like 12 minutes and you're going in with wanting something to help you, I just feel like you've chosen the wrong game. Just watch somebody play it on YouTube at that point because if you just want the story, which seemingly so far is pretty interesting, um, you can get that through other means. But... Um, I'm enjoying it because I kind of bought it because I've told you I've been in this funk of not knowing what to play and I was like this is just <clears> obtuse <throat> enough of a game that I could see myself enjoying it but since mm-hmm. I'm just like trying to brute force it I'll play for like an hour 
and I'll just try a bunch of different combinations of different things you can do. And then I'll get on a roll and I'll be like, ah, it's working, it's working, it's working. And then suddenly I'll be like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a point where I've hit a wall and I don't have a new idea yet. So I normally will put the game down. I'll be like, all right, stop. And then I'll wait a day or two and then I'll come back to it and I'll start thinking like, what have I not thought of? What have I not messed with? Is there anything in the game that, I haven't even thought that you could interact with and then you find a new combination and it starts working. You're like, yes, I'm making progress. And then you finally, you learn something new and you're like, how can I use that? And then I tried using it and it went woefully under. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to wait and play another day. Cause it just gets to a point where you feel, you feel like you've thrown all your brain power. And I'm, I keep playing it like late at night, like 11 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, let me start this strenuous thought process activity at 11. <laughs> um, but it's it was funny. I started playing that off the back of finally watching Knives Out, which I had not seen up until this point. And Chris, you should absolutely watch Knives Out. Uh, probably the craziest thing of all is that for as divisive and strange and out of place The Last Jedi feels among the, the new Star Wars movies, whether that's Ryan Johnson's like overtly his fault or or not, who I don't really know. It is very interesting to see a movie completely written and directed by him be, I mean, super fun, super good, really, I, I, and you know, not be weighed down by all the controversy of Star Wars. You will like it. Also, okay. I'm pretty sure you're talking about second mission for Hitman Three, right? Because I did start playing Hitman Three again, but I played. <laughs> I played for like 10 minutes because after not playing for like two or three weeks, I don't remember how to play. So yeah. I got back in there and I was like, why? I can't get this person's outfit. How do I sneak? Oh God, I've been seen. What do I do? And I just, I literally just started, I had a hammer in my hand. I just started hitting everybody in the head with a hammer. That's the best. <laughs> and, and I eventually died because they were it's, just uh, shooting at me eventually. And I was yeah. like, Okay. The but I noticed is, it was like a house out in the field and there's like a reporter coming in and yep, there's yep. a lady who said she was dead, but she's not actually dead. That's the mission yeah. you're talking about. That's Knives that, Out focused. That is right? the mission. Because it definitely, I, I played that and then I watched Knives Out and I was like, yeah, I get the vibe here. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm picking up. That's the mission. But, you got to you gotta get through it. It's so good. Do it. Um, do I the, think re- I gotta, the reporter I think I got to do training again. <laughs> you might <laughs> so, need to just figure. Because like a legit, I was playing and I was like, I thought I could knock these people out and take their, their like their outfits and costumes, and I literally went and knocked someone out, and I like brutally knocked them out on accident because they hit the wrong button, and I was like, Whoa. and then I was like, I can't put their clothes on. What's going on? And so I was trying to follow the reporter. I got seen, so I ran around the house. I didn't know what to do, and I climbed into a window, and then I hid in the trunk. <laughs> until they weren't hunting me anymore. And then I got out of the trunk and I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> I just walked out and got seen and I was like, all right, I don't know what's going on. And I just started hammering people in the head. That's it was a very short-lived gameplay thing. It was just, you know, it got to the point where it was just fun to be smacking people in the head with a hammer. I killed like seven people before I got taken down. I, that's numbers of pride right there. Mm-hmm. You know Those are I mean? rookie numbers in this racket, though. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely... Up. I'm absolutely positive. <laughs> but when you just when you have a wall of people running at you and you just pow, pow, <laughs> seven yeah. feels like a lot. It's like if I, was in, if I was in real life and I was able to hit, let alone one person in the head with a hammer when people are running at me trying to hurt me or capture me, and then I managed to get a second person before I got taken down, yeah, I'd be like, I did it, boys. <laughs> Look, mom, I'm proud. <laughs> you'd be proud of me. <laughs> Look, mama. Hell yeah. 
Yeah, I need to get back to that too. So Here do. we are in the ocean of games. And I actually was having a good time, but I just felt like there's no way I'm going to beat this without redoing the training. So I just stopped. Uh, did play a healthy dose, dose of RuneScape though. Uh, so that's where we are. Chris, you got your computer back. Now you can really stress test it with some RuneScape. Yes. Uh, the 117 HD mod. Turn everything onto uh, extreme extreme shadow resolution of sixteen thousand three hundred and twenty by sixteen thousand three hundred and twenty. The highest oh shadow my. resolution. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you got your computer back. It looks good. Me too. I'm excited. I love it. What What are you trying to play on your computer? Just out of curiosity. Um, like, what's your, What's your first deep dive that you're you're aiming for? I'm probably gonna keep playing Days Gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Days I Gone buying, so much. Um, you know, I have Monster Hunter Rise for Switch, and I never got yeah. around playing it. Uh, literally, I have it sitting there. But Monster Hunter Rise just came out on Steam. And I'm like, yep. I could technically spend another 60 but then I'm spending $120 to play a game that I already own, or I'm spending $60 more. Um, but it looks so much better. Like, you know, like, oh, look, high frame rates, high quality textures, all the things that the Switch <laughs> will not have. Um so I'm trying to fight myself to not buy it and play it there since I went ahead and bought it on Switch over a year ago at this point. I've been thinking about ago. it too. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't even like Monster Hunter. And I was like, yeah, this game looks pretty good. Seems fun. Yeah, I mean, it looks, and I'll give it, it looks pretty good on the Switch Lite or at least whenever I saw Saul playing it for a little bit. Um, but you know, when you have a computer that can do so much more, you have that thing of like, I mean... I have this computer that can play these games at such high, crazy things. Why, why don't I just do that? So, yeah. But, oh, well, here's what it is. Um, I guess we're going to go ahead and move into the news, uh, and then we will hit up the community stake question, which, of course, was about our episode last week in Activision, Microsoft, and we'll talk about that. Uh, and then we have a main topic and plan uh, that we are talking about of kind of the idea of, what we'd like to see PlayStation do throughout the next five years, just in a general sense, uh, be in combating Xbox or just finding new ways to tap into uh, their existing player base and, and really get them what they want. Uh, but for now, let's go ahead and move into the news. You cool with that, Chris? I am cool with that. Well, remember... If you want to support the show, like so many of you already do, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. really helps us in keeping the show hosted without having to dig into our own pockets and buy equipment that we need um, and pay for other things like Chris coming down here uh, at the end of February for episode 250. So think about it if you haven't. And for all of you who do, we appreciate it. Um, the first thing up on the news is February's PS Plus titles. They've been announced, and on the PS5 side of things, they're keeping up with that, thankfully. Uh, users can pick up Planet Coaster, which is a theme park simulator. And looking at it, I hadn't thought consoles had really landed on anything remotely close to um, Roller Coaster Tycoon. And this doesn't look that different. I mean, it's it doesn't have the same charm as like the grid-based graphics does, but everything seems to be kind of in place, like being able to alter terrain and build roller coasters piece by piece. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, on the PS4 side of things, players can dive into a Dungeons & Mastered-inspired romp with Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep. Now, that is the Borderlands 2 DLC uh, that has been broken off into its own game. Uh, or you can throw hands and feet 
and UFC 4. Uh, the titles will be available tomorrow. That's the day this episode goes live uh, for all to check out. Now, Chris, yes, qu- a quick question for you here. I know this is a quick piece of news, but have you seen the people who are very upset about specifically Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep? I have. Do you personally find that you think that it's weird that they're giving us a, a standalone DLC? I mean... Yes and no. I mean, it's hard because these are free games. So I feel like anything you get over the bare minimum, like you could be getting what's on Games with Gold right now. Um, that's true. Games with Gold is miserable this month. It's awful. One of, one of the games is Hydrophobia. Yeah. Do you even know what that? I, I own that game on PS3, and let me tell you, that ain't it. First of all, I bought that game for like $1.99 in 2010, and it's 2022, <laughs> and you're giving me hydrophobia. Right. Um, but continue. <laughs> but no, I just feel like, yeah, this is this is a standalone game. Like, whatever. I don't know. It's very clear that they're doing it to cross-promote for... Whatever the new game is, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands or whatever. So just mm. let them, you know, they're going to, you know, I don't mind. It's a new game. It's a new platinum. It's a long experience. So just, it's free, you know, with the goal, with plus. So yeah, I get, you know, when I, I, get the when I saw people, yeah, I, I saw people talking about it and I was like, you know, I think that I would be a little more on the side of the people saying this if the idea was like one of the three games was a genuine DLC. Like you had to already own Borderlands 2 in order to play this. That would be weird. If they were like, hey, the PS Plus game for this month is Horizon Frozen Wilds, but if you don't own Horizon, then you can't play it. Because that just feels like you're giving me something that has a prerequisite requirement. Is it even really a free game at that point? I think that could be interesting, right? Like if, if they ever wanted to start like supplementing PS plus, which we, they have Spartacus coming. So there's no reason even thinking about that. But if you would have told me like midway through PS4 gen, that they started being like, Hey, we're going to supplement the monthly games to where you still get all your monthly games, but every now and then you'll just get a DLC. And if you own the game, great, you get a DLC. If not, you can buy the game and then get the DLC. That would be reasonable. But if you told me like you're replacing one of the monthly titles with a DLC, I'd be like, okay, that's weird if it's not standalone. Like if it's standalone, like um, you know, uh, infamous um, Festival of Blood or Second Light and all those different first things light. like that. Or First Light, yeah. Um, I could see that, but I just thought it was weird to see so many people up in arms over that. I mean, I don't know. It. it um. I guess the big thing that I saw that I do agree with is that they already gave us a uh, handsome collection. So they already gave us this game in a way like I get that. But again, to me, and I know this is like a very personal thing. It's a new platinum. It's not, it's not, it's a new game. Um, but I will say it depends on the DLC, right? Cause if they had given out like echoes of the eye for outer wilds, would have been like, Oh, that's awesome. Like I want to play that. You know what I mean? So, sure. I think people are very selective with their outrage, and I think Borderlands is a game that gets that a lot. <laughs> well, yeah. It, you know, I've seen people be like, and it is weird, right? Because if you've had PlayStation Plus for a long time, the idea of feeling like you've already gotten a game once and then getting it again can be weird. 
they've done it before though right they'll be like well we gave you the ps3 version of journey and now we're giving you the ps4 version version of journey but they're different games and right. depending on who's coming in are there different releases um and depending on who's coming in someone may have missed journey on ps3 and are really excited about getting journey on ps4 you know what i mean or yeah it's it's, it's kind of a weird thing where there's so many games that get re-released in a way across console generations that some people are going to be like hyped to get the same game again because they're like, oh, sweet, I get to play it again on a new console or I never got to play it here. I get to play it on a new console. Um, but I, I don't know. My curiosity really lies with how much longer are it, like we saw ga- uh, we saw Game Pass come and then Games with Gold still sticks around and just like hanging by a thread because all of Microsoft's focus gets pushed onto Game Pass. My real question is, does PS Plus continue to even do this once we get Spartacus? Like, once Spartacus is revealed, is that how separate from PS Plus is it? Does PS Plus stay around like Games with Gold did? And if it does, how does that impact what games we get from that? Because I think definitely since the beginning of this generation, PS Plus has been pretty awesome, pretty consistently. Even mm-hmm. if it's games I've already played, I still think that's a that's like those are quality games that I could see why people would want. Um, so well, did you see the uh, thing going around that they changed the wording on PS Plus? Uh, I didn't end up reading into it. I meant to. It was, um, but it used to what say, was the wording change? It used to say free with your PlayStation Plus subscription, and now it says um, these games are provided at no extra cost or something around those lines, implying that there's going to be an PS, extra cost. PS Plus. To PS is, Plus. Uh, well, I guess the implication there is that they are moving away from PS Plus branding, realistically, right? No, I think this is going to be PS Plus Tier 1, PS Plus Tier 2, that kind of thing. That's how I see it playing out. Hmm. I don't know. We'll definitely see, and I know that the rumor for Spartacus talked about tiered services. Well, I just which, don't I think mean, arguably gold, I mean, arguably Game Pass is tiered, right? I mean, you have Game Pass and then Game Pass Ultimate, but it's not tiered in the same way. It's more of do you want Game Pass on console only or Game Pass with console and PC along with Xbox Live Gold? But Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll I see. think they're going to keep the PS Plus branding for Spartacus. So. You think so? I do, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I, guess I, just I just don't think see it's interesting to pull it. that off specifically. You know what I mean? I mean, PS Plus has got a lot of uh, years of, of namesake, and it's a good name, I think. I mean, oh, yeah, I always thought great it was. Name. so. So, PS know, plus, well. PS plus plus, PS plus plus plus, PS plus 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 with Game Pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, please don't. You see people thinking that they're going to do it like they do with the headsets and stuff where they do it all after trophies. So it'd be like PS plus uh, silver, PS plus gold, and PS plus platinum. That would be awesome. I'd be a PS plus <laughs> platinum member just to have another one in my collection. <laughs> yeah, I got one more platinum today, guys. My subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if yeah. they gave you a platinum trophy each month. That would be weird. Like every month that you have, so every year you have twelve more platinums than you did. Yep. Well, what's the platinum games. for? It's just they're just platinums. <laughs> oh, yeah. they just choose random one off games. Hey, choose a game gonna, you haven't gonna... played in a while. I'm gonna just finish the list for you. Oh my god, I would do that with Destiny. <laughs> Uh, for the record, I'm joking. I would be just as I would be more mad if they did that than I wasn't near. So. Up near, I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, but I thought you were saying at first they like they just give you a platinum, like your platinum count goes up by one, but it's not connected to a game. 
Like that would be all funny. You're is a platinum. I mean, Xbox did that with the uh, Xbox One. They have that day one achievement on your account. Oh, really? If you bought the system and played it day one, yeah, you got an achievement. What did it have? Gamer score behind it? I couldn't tell you that much. I just know that they did the thing. I mean, it's an interesting idea. But hey, where'd you get I that like five hundred from, bro? I, I started it day one. Yeah, man. What if that is a thing? They I'm give a they give a platinum. They give a platinum for the the platinum service for people who move to it. You know, within the first week or so, mm-hmm. that'd be kind. I of would cool. like it. Yeah, I'm a fan of. Uh, I don't know if you ever had this. Uh, or if you ever saw it with the Vita, I'm a fan of the idea of like releasing a console a week early with like a, you know, first owners bundle and stuff. Vita had it to where, uh, and I got it and it comes with a really cool case for the original Vita and stuff, but it was like the founders edition bundle or something kind of like that, where the idea is that you get the, the system a week early games could be bought a week early and you get like an extra thing with the system. So for the Vita, you got a case, I don't really hate that idea. I know some people do, but I mean, I thought it was cool. It felt very premier to be like, oh, I'm getting a Vita before everyone else. So cool. <laughs> you know, I like that idea. <laughs> Why not? I mean, that's, I guess that that's kind of going on with PS5s right now when people are getting the, um, the Sony direct emails to them like, hey, you've got an exclusive invitation to buy a PS5 from the Sony reward thing or the Sony direct thing and click this link at this time and you'll be guaranteed a reserved system. Like that feels pretty nice when you can't get them right now. So like, oh, Sony, you didn't have to. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you thought of me specifically. Thanks. Oh, it's like the weirdest form of polygamy. Sony's just sending that out. It's like a booty call in the middle of the night. But well, at least one of them is going to hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Bobby. And everybody shows up, and Sony's just like, uh, I only have this many. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, either way, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, PS Plus is good, strong naming. So if they don't keep it, I would be very surprised. But it makes, I don't know, why are they calling it Spartacus internally? You know, I mean, also, what a name. Is it like... Wasn't the PS4 the, Orbis? We're not playing an Orbis right now. That is true. The PS4 was Orbis and VR was Morpheus, which actually great name. checks out. That's that's a that's a great name. I almost wish it would have just been called the PlayStation Morpheus. Like that just release insane. it. Yeah. The Matrix crossover. Take yeah, the blue I mean. pill and hop into VR. That was the wrong pill. Take the red pill and hop into <laughs> VR. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always legit wondered how many people looked at that and thought it was the Matrix. And then also I had that thing where me, like when they first did it, I was like, oh, like the Greek god of like dreams and sleep uh, and stuff like that, where it's like, I could see that. And then everyone else is like Morpheus, like the Matrix. I'm like, damn, the Matrix has really permeated culture. This could actually be named after the Matrix more, <laughs> more than it is. I mean, they both work for the same reasons, right? I think the whole idea of the, the reason he's called Morpheus in the Matrix is because you're waking from the dream, right? Like, right. It's, it's tied into it, so I see it. Because it's it is a sick name. It is, dude. I kind of wish I was named Morpheus. It's a sick name. That sounds right. so awesome. If you're like, hey, what's your name? Hey, bro, I'm Morpheus. That's cool. That <laughs> is know, cool. When I was a kid, I always wanted to name my kid Thunder because I thought it was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? Thunder. Thunder figure. <laughs> yeah, this is my son, Thunder, and my daughter, Lightning. Oh, no. Final Fantasy 13 ruined that name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Lightning. <laughs> Oh gosh. Oh dude, Thunder Figs. <laughs> <laughs>
Listen, Thunder Figaro is a great name. That is a sick name. I mean, my buddy's name is Thorgen. Thorgen Wolfgang Lewis. That what a name. That's that's almost too much. That's just too <laughs> much cool for one name. Oh man. All right, next thing up in the news. For all those still rocking a PS4 or PS4 Pro and wondering what Horizon Forbidden West will look like, Gorilla recently showed a look at the gameplay on the systems as part of announcing that the game has gone gold ahead of its February 18th release. So if you're not one of the people that likes to completely avoid games, I won't say anything more about it, but you can go check out the gameplay. Uh, and I think it looks quite great uh, even on PS4 Pro. I'll give them, I'll give them their thing. Though I do want to say they keep showing it on PS4 Pro, not on PS4. I believe it looks fine on PS4, but clearly they're showing the best version of it on PS4 for yeah. marketing purposes. If they really wanted to be transparent, they would release one that shows the differences between PS4, PS4 Pro, and PS5. But, oh well. Um, Chris, thoughts on, I mean, did you see this at all? Did you end up watching it or, or were you not worried because you don't no, have to worry I'm about not, PS4? Yeah, I'm not worried about it. And I know you're not, like, you're, you're not, I, I think you're planning on playing the game, but you're not just like over the moon hype for it, right? No, it, but I will say, Maybe a shock for some of our listeners after the way I've talked. It has now moved to third on my February ranking. <laughs> so that is true. Dying that Light, is true. Elden Ring, Horizon. So Elden Ring has made a move up as you've decided that FromSoft games are not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought they were bad. I always thought that I wasn't good at them. And then I realized that I'm getting pretty good at the hardest one objectively. So I think I'm okay. <laughs> I, I will say that's the hardest one for me so far. Well, it's the only one you can't level yourself into it being easy. You have to That's actually too, get good at the game. It, it's primarily the parry, which you think, you know what? You know what I really need to do? I need to go back to it mm -hmm. because I had to perfect basically not parrying, but the same idea of perfecting timing to do something. I had yeah, to do that yeah. mortal shell. Oh, okay. <clears throat> because the no... Um, no shell, the run. no shell run for mortal mortal shell entirely relies on your ability to harden at the right exact time, which is basically the idea behind parrying. Oh, yeah. you need to hit this button at this exact time so you can see this happen. Um, so I should now that I was able to steal my resolve and figure <laughs> out how to harden perfectly in, in mortal shell, I should go back to Sekiro and really see how I, how I fare. Uh, Do it. I think it was just weird because like you play so many from games and. You've always had the ability to like parry or ripost or whatever in most of them, but they never played like a, oh, you have to do it or you literally can't. Like the mechanic of beating the boss is tied to your ability to parry. Mm. So that was always what made it hard is it's so different playing than all the other FromSoft games and you're used to just running around and doing what you want. Like even Bloodborne, I just sidestep everywhere. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yep, yep, not going to get me. Not going to get me. <laughs> stab, stab, stab. Not going to get me. Back roll. Beep. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Beep, beep. So that's I think that was genuinely the hardest part of uh of that game in particular. So um anyway, um uh, I think it's it's going to be interesting. Like, I I want to see like Digital Foundry's breakdown of this cuz I'm curious to see how big the differences how big they can make the differences considering it's cross gen. Just so you get a feel for like what to expect from like Gran Turismo and God of War and all these games coming up. I saw um, a, a tweet from Digital Foundry where they were like it there are cl clear and distinct differences, but it's not that bad. <laughs> They're excited to go through it. So Yeah. It'll be 
no matter what, right? There is always going to be that feeling for people who really care uh, and who really are, are into the PlayStation 5 and are wanting to see it do what it can do. There's always going to be that feeling of this game could have been more if it targeted specifically PS5. Now, how true that really remains to be seen, like, or how true that is remains to be seen. The reality is, is that no matter what, you everyone's going to feel like if you were able to focus completely for one system, you would be able to squeeze that much more performance out of it. Mm-hmm. But in reality, considering that they're still only developing for uh, realistically two systems, maybe they really didn't lose any optimization at all. But that feeling permeates no matter what. Like you're always going to feel like, what could it have been? And certain people are going to have a hard time getting past that, even if the games look amazing. I mean, I'll give the the bit that I watched. Horizon looks amazing for it to be on there, like significantly better. And I'm not trying to throw shade or anything, but significantly better than like Halo Infinite looked on Xbox One. Mm-hmm. Significantly better. Um, which arguably you can say like Horizon's art style and rendering style are and all these different things and choosing to run at 30 on PlayStation um, for uh, PlayStation 4 as opposed to I, I'm pretty sure Halo Infinite was still 60 frames per second on Xbox One. So there's a lot of differences there. Uh, but seeing a game that looks this good this late into a generation, excuse me, this late into a generation is still impressive nonetheless. It is. Um, Next thing up, hot off the back of remastering the original trilogy, Crytek have officially announced that they are working on a brand new fourth installment of the series. They are currently developing it under the working title Crisis 4. I wouldn't be surprised if that's just the name because it was always just Crisis, Crisis 2, Crisis 3. Yeah. Uh, but I am a fan of subnames. Like if they're going to come back, why would we even talk about Crisis 4? From a marketing standpoint, it actually makes more sense to call it Crisis something completely different so that people don't feel like they had to have played the previous three to jump into it. They'd be more willing to just jump into crisis and then whatever you want to give it as the surname, you know? Right. Um, this actually brings us something I'm disappointed. Saul is not here uh, because I've been waiting. I've been holding this one for a while. Uh, so the oh, GeForce no. leak is a hundred percent true, right? We're just, we're done pretending that there's anything doubtful about it at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it would be great for Saul to be here because I think he was the one who was the most skeptical about its uh, about what it held inside. Uh, I thought it was obvious. Like right, whenever I saw GeForce Now, and I get it, you have this thing of people being like, uh, "Well, somebody could just put it in there because they were trying to read the tea leaves, and it's an easy way to show it forward." By saying, uh, by that I mean, if the GeForce Now leak was fake at all and somebody just put some extra games in there, it wouldn't have been that weird for someone to look and go, well, they remastered Crisis 1. They wouldn't have done that unless they were trying to look at interest for a Crisis 4, so let's go ahead and just put a Crisis 4 in. But at the same time, yeah, that's exactly true. The moment they remastered Crisis 1 and then announced they were remastering Crisis 2 and 3, I was like, obviously, they're working towards Crisis 4. Yeah, it was all about seeing. Yeah, so... I agree. I do think GeForce uh, Now leak is as accurate as anything. It shows that there there is enough smoke and fire. It doesn't mean everything in the list is going to materialize, and I don't think anybody ever purported for that to be the case. No. But I think there's plenty in there that we are going to see in some capacity. Yeah. So I'm just, uh, I wanted to go, I've been waiting to gut check Saul on that for a little bit. But this is the one story where I'm like, okay, this is at this point is just obvious that it was always true. Yeah, I mean, I think so as well. Um, 
you know, I mean, I, I've really, I want to get back and play because I never played Crisis Three. I played Crisis One and Two, uh, and I've been wanting to replay those, uh, the remastered trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been looking uh, at that pack for a while. But there's just something about like I remember Crisis Two was awesome, and I didn't get to beat it because I, I I checked it out when I was working at GameStop, and I got to play like probably three quarters of it, like six or seven hours of it. Uh, I know it wasn't a super long game, but that game was awesome. And then I just never ended up going back to it because I was broke. Um, <laughs> so I've been wanting to go back and play it though. Cause even on PS3, I was like, Holy crap, dude, this is like, it looks amazing. It feels amazing. The idea of having all these powers with your suit is like really cool. Like on a pure, on a pure idea level, I think the idea behind crisis is super cool. Um, oh, absolutely. Random shower thought. I know this is like a weird thing to come back to, but literally before this was even announced, like a week ago, I was taking a shower and in the shower, for some reason, my brain was just like thinking about all the awesome like PS3 games that came out that all did like really cool like simulation style things. And like, we're going to break stuff down and let physics play out in games. And crisis was the reason for that right like the original crisis everybody loved the idea it's like you can shoot a tree down you can shoot it branch by branch off and then we saw like consoles start trying to mimic that we're like okay far cry 2 on console you can (laughs) burn fields and shoot down you can shoot boards out and you can shoot the tree branch by branch and it'll break down even on console and then battlefield back then was like we're gonna do battlefield bad company and you're going to be able to level a complete house by shooting it at the you know at the foundation and it'll eventually knock the whole house down um and then small stuff like i felt like the ps3 era was like game console manufacturers being like we've got to prove that we're going next gen and i don't know if i've ever seen a period of as much like look at all the things that you can only do on these new consoles um one of those things I really loved was in the very first Resistance game, I think it was the mm-hmm. only one that actually had this level of detail, um, you have the heat stacks on the back of the Chimera, and you could shoot the heat stacks to kill them and because it would cause them to malfunction, overheat, and then it would blow the Chimera up. Or they had red tubes that were connecting everything, and they weren't very big, but they were slightly overstated in size so that you could see them given the 720p resolution and you could shoot them and you could shoot each one of the hoses and you'd see it pop open and like coolant would spray out of it and if you broke all the hoses they would overheat and they would die and i just thought that was like i remember i was excited for resistance because of that like i was like what a weird level of detail like you can (laughs) shoot hoses on something's back and then kill it and i remember resistance 2 in many ways is a better game than resistance 1 but I remember that they did away with that. Like you, they, they weren't like, after that first game of trying to prove what next gen could do with one of the first games. They were like, "Yeah, we're still going to have like big scale and crazy stuff, but we're not going to have this fine level of detail." Now you just shoot their heat stack, and it, it makes more sense. It's an easier target. But I love those stupid fine levels of detail. And my real hope for Crisis Four is like they're they're thinking at the drawing board, like what can we do, even on a console level, to just really show all the crazy physics stuff that we can pull off in a game. Yeah, there's a there's a VR game called I think Boneworks VR that's like that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's like super. Everything is it's physics based and everything reacts as you would expect. Uh, and like you can pick people up and like shove guns in their mouth and stuff and everything just reacts to what you're doing. And I think part of why I've been kind of in a weird funk with gaming lately is that technology visually continues to be amazing. 
Yeah. I just don't feel True. like people have really done much in thinking of how do physics interact with stuff. And I feel like that's fun. Like when I did <clears throat> Skyrim VR a few weeks back and was playing it for so many hours, the reason it was fun was less that it was Skyrim, which is a great game, and more that it was Skyrim with someone being able to account for all the physics of me interacting with the world genuinely. And I know VR is like an obvious hit for that, but why can't that be in games like it once was? Like definitely first-person games. First-person games should be the most immersive thing you can come up with. Otherwise, why are you wasting time putting me in first-person? Realistically. So we'll see what ends up happening in that regard. Uh, God dang it, boy. All right. uh, Let's see. Next thing up. Capcom have released financials for the first nine months of the 2021 fiscal year, and it shows a healthy company with continued sales from their flagship franchises. Resident Evil 8 sold 5.7 million units, while Resident Evil 7 sold another 1 million, pushing it above 10 million units sold total across five years. Monster Hunter 2, or Monster Hunter's two Nintendo titles have sold well, with Stories 2 Wings of Ruin shipping 1.4 million units and Rise being confirmed at 8 million units. And that's before the recently released Steam version of the title that I was talking about. Um, this is a weird question, Chris, but I've seen people talking about it, right? Um, and it's it's going to kind of play into the community's take. So I guess I'll kind of save the remark for there. But it's about Capcom as a potential purchase for Sony. So don't let me forget that when we're talking about it. Okay. Um, the answer is no. Next up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I figured too, but... Uh, I want to kind of talk about why that isn't necessarily what some people think it is and what the the divide between core gamers and casual gamers are and the importance of that in relation to Activision. Absolutely. Um, Anyway, uh, next thing up, Hyperspace, Ubisoft's futuristic battle royale came out uh, about a year and a half ago, is coming to an end. The team announced that they have made the tough decision to end development on the title with the servers for the title staying open through April 28th for the player base to enjoy their work for a little while longer. Um, I never played this. I genuinely don't know anything about it. I remember seeing it very, very lightly and then never touching it. I don't have a lot of interest in Battle Royale. But there was a feeling when they announced it from a lot of people that there's no way this can push out Apex and Warzone and Fortnite and lo and behold, it looks like it was true. <laughs> yeah, well, it also just wasn't very fun. I played a couple rounds of it, and I and that one of the big takeaways I had was like, why would I play this over Apex? But then it was also just like, this isn't nearly as fun as Apex. It was too fast, too uh, vertical, too uh, too much verticality. I didn't like it very much. I, on paper, that sounds cool to me. But yeah. there's something about the fact that I know that in practice, that's very unlikely to be what I want it to be. Okay. Like if you really looked at, like, uh, did you, um, uh, Ghost Runner? Did you have you seen that game? I have, but I haven't played it. Okay. Uh, well, essentially, first person cyberpunk, like real, mm-hmm. um, really parkour, you know, weird movement oriented, um, very vertical, a lot of stuff like that where you can run up and move around stuff. And if you told me, hey, put that into the idea of a battle royale where everyone is just on a map and they're running around and going vertical, I could see that being fun. But I think people get weighed down with a cool idea like that, that they're trying to make it too similar to a battle royale in other ways. It's like they want to be unique, but they don't want to push so far that they alienate. That's the fear, I guess, on their side. They don't want to push so far that they alienate the common ground of like, well, it's still a battle royale. But I think that by doing so... 
they really missed the chance for the game to do anything of value because instead it's like, oh, it still plays like Apex and Fortnite, but there's this new layer of obtuseness to it that makes those other ones, whenever you compare the parts that you can compare apples to apples, it makes the other ones just stand out better. I don't know. It's What was that other one? Radical Heights, right? Yeah, that, that was, was, the, uh, that was Cliffy the Cliff B. Blazinski. Yeah. That one never came out. Never, well, out of uh, early access. Exactly. But same idea, right? Wasn't its whole thing about being like super vertical? Yeah. Like being able to jump around crazy and fast. And I don't think that those are bad ideas, but why do you keep trying to wrap them up in standard battle royale trappings? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, did you, you played Modern Warfare 2, right? The original Modern Warfare 2? Yeah, Yeah, Call of Duty. Um, do you, you remember the Flavella level? Flavella. Describe to me what happens within it because I it, think I, the, the one that I'm sounds thinking familiar. of is with um, when you the, when you're driving in the mission starts you driving in your driver gets shot in the head and then you're running through that like city and people are shooting at you from all different angles and different buildings. That sounds yes. Okay, I thought that was Flavella, <clears throat> right? Well, yeah. Or did, did I mishear you as Flavella? Yeah, I, I don't really know that. Yeah. Um, okay. my, oh, you're, you're cool. My point is that imagine that level on veteran and but with real people. And that was the biggest problem with Hyperscape. Way too many angles to try and deal with. You know, like Fortnite has kind of the same problem for me personally. But at Whenever least you start in, building up. Yeah, but at least in Fortnite mm-hmm. you can see that it's happening. In this one it was like you're running through a city and you, someone can be on the top, someone can be inside a building, and someone can be on the bottom floor. And then you have these powers where one guy's jumping along and grappling hooking in a giant ball or whatever. It was just too much. Battle Royale has to be simple. I do think, what's the player count on this game? Like 32 people, 64 people? No, I think it was 100. Uh, dude, yeah. Th- Again, on paper, the idea itself, when you don't account for the group amount of people, is fun. But that sounds like it's it's most fun with like a, a max of sixteen people. Absolutely. But that's the thing. Why can't something still be battle royale in mindset? Why does it always have to have a lot of people? Um, that's something that I've had a weird time getting over. Like a big reason is I don't necessarily want to jump into a match where I'm having to worry about a hundred people. Sometimes it's nice to just be like, I've only got to worry about 32 people or I've only got to worry about 16 people. You know what I mean? Like, but why can't it still be the same basic idea of if you're doing singles and there's 16 of you in a thing, then you get to account for only 15 other players. But as you die off, eventually there ends up being only one victor. And then if you do like doubles, you can have 32 players and then everybody, you have more of a reason to have that. Um, well, but I guess because I'm not big into the, the idea of battle royale, I just I don't find the the high numbers to be like this com- this compelling thing. Well, the high number isn't what's compelling. It's the fact that the map is so large that you need a high number of players. That's fair uh, for the few that I have played. Right, that's fair for like uh, Warzone because the map yeah. is huge. Like if you but I guess on, on like you know, any but of the, go ahead. If you're going uh, for hyperscape, are mm-hmm. the maps as large as like Call of Duty? I don't remember. It's two games I played. <laughs> okay. The reason I ask is because there's no reason to make a world that's that sprawling when you have verticality. Make it a no. smaller area, and then you make up for what you would have had wide by being able to go up and down. Mm-hmm. 
I would agree. Uh, and I, I guess that's probably one of the problems, right? Is I, I don't want to speak too strongly because I haven't played the game, but I could see that being an issue if you're trying to make things too big and too, because that's what, that's part of the angles, right? When you, if you go too wide and you have all this verticality within that width, you're having to deal with people who could be three to 400 meters away in a completely opposite way who can snipe you from forever away because they're in a building that you can't even account for within your range of vision because you have all these other vertical issues to deal with. It makes more sense to keep it tight and have the verticality, um, almost like tower fall ascension where it's like the verticality is the aspects that you want and that you have a tight square more or less that you can work within while you're working your way up. That may, you know, that makes sense to me at least. Tower fall of battle royale. I mean, no, but I guess. See, that's the thing. Like, what constitutes a battle royale? Is it is truly the thing that separates it? Is it really just a player count? Or is it the idea that you start with a set number of players, regardless of what the number is, and by the end of the match, there's only one victor or one squad of, of victors? Is I that think really it's the end of the match that makes it, which is my thing. It's like eventually there's only one victor in Towerfall, so it kind of feels like a battle royale to me. I guess it is then. I, I classify it as that if that's really what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, because I, I, you, do you really want to sit there and say like Mag on the PS3 was a battle royale? You could say that it was. I mean, but it, then that technically means that the battle royale concept existed f- far, far, far before. You know, and of course it did. We watched a movie from like 2001 called Battle Royale. <laughs> we did. But my point being is that in the gaming sphere, it was already alive and well, well before the likes of Fortnite or anything like that, right? And PUBG. Yeah. Um, but everyone likes to act Excuse like me. it's not. But I guess it's really more of the, it never struck, it never really caught fire until... PUBG. PUBG right. was like the first thing and then everybody wanted to build off of that. Because uh, I'm pretty sure everyone collectively groaned, if I'm being honest. It sounded cool when you're trying to console war it up and be like, PlayStation's better because you can have 256 people on one map. I mean, that yeah, that's a cool number. But ideally, I don't think anybody was really putting Mag in and being like, oh yeah, let's go. 256 people to account for. Yeah, <laughs> That's ridiculous. I died immediately as I spawned because there's people everywhere. <laughs> Dude, those those maps were huge. Oh, were and they? they were and they were pretty barren because of the fact that they had to be big because you started it was 256 players, but if I remember right, you it broke you into squads. And then fire teams within the squads. So you had like 256 people, eight squads, eight fire teams per squad, and it would start each squad in different things. So it was like you're all working towards things and trying to go towards it. It was it was a cool idea. I'm really not trying to down talk it. It got messed up by the fact that it wanted to have progression that it wasn't like Halo. It wasn't you're either bad or you're good at the game. It was if you play enough and you get enough kills, you get gear advantages over other people who are just starting and therefore you can be better than them. But once players start shedding off, you're left with only the sweaty people who are really, really good and have ridiculously high gear. And not only is their skill way higher than yours, you literally don't even have a weapon or armor that can count for what they're coming to you with. It's rough times. Yeah, that's a bad way to do it. Yeah, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, 
Last thing here in the news, in the wake of the Activision Blizzard purchase, there was much in question over the future of Call of Duty on PlayStation uh, consoles. Of course, PlayStation said they believed they'd stay. Uh, we had Phil come out and say that they, uh, you know, desired to, their desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. But according to Jason Schreier, the next three titles in the series will still release on PlayStation, including this year's title, which, of course, because Activision is not owned by Microsoft yet, uh, 2023's title, and a supposed successor to Warzone, which is seemingly aiming for 2023 as well. His article around this states that titles past that are hazier as to their appearance on Sony's consoles. Um, so ostensibly, 2024 Call of Duty is the first one that is questionable within um, within the sights of everyone involved here. Chris, yeah, yep. what are your thoughts on this? Um I think this is good information. Um, the more I think about Call of Duty being exclusive, the more I don't think it's going to happen. Not for any altruistic Microsoft love Sony reason, but because I don't think it makes sense to cut the player base by three quarters. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't I mean, make logical sense why you would do that to your game other than to screw Sony. And I know that, sure, they can, but... I don't see any reason to do that. It screws your players. It screws PC players. It screws Sony players in a completely different way, but still screws Sony players. So taking Call of Duty off Sony literally screws everybody. I don't know why they would do it. Well, and we we made this conversation before when Bethesda was bought out, but I think it's really different when you're dealing with a monster the size of Call of Duty, right? Mm -hmm. You could look, a lot of people would look, and definitely at the time, it's easy to make the the. Uh, the remark, and I made it myself, and I I know why I made it and why I thought it, and it wasn't for any, it wasn't because I was upset with Microsoft, but it's because if I was in Microsoft's shoes and I bought Bethesda, I would one hundred percent be like, yeah, we're still going to release the Elder Scrolls, uh, at least the next one on PlayStation because that single release selling twenty five million copies could potentially you know make back a, a large section of the seven billion dollar purchase i just made right uh so why not just do it since we've already announced like the game's already announced and people know about it let's just put starfield and it on there and then start benefiting later once we've recouped our money but microsoft has so much money that they don't have to think that way they can literally be like yeah we're just gonna make this stuff exclusive and go ahead and start reaping from it not monetarily but we're reaping from it and building Game Pass so that we eventually become monetarily sound within Game Pass, uh, within its own thing. Because I don't think that they're like you know they're not looking at their books and balancing the seven seven billion dollar purchase that they say is because of Game Pass against how well Game Pass is doing. Because that doesn't really matter. That's more of a long play Netflix style game where it's like spend the money up front, get the content that we need, get the people to continue making content. And then we can start talking about it once we're in profit. Um, well, so um, in looking at that, it's the same thing for PlayStation and Call of Duty. I would, you would think Call of Duty is such a monster at like, you know, 50, 60, 70 million units sold per game across every console out there. Why would you limit that? Why would, and why would you limit the potential for, uh, microtransaction purchases within that. You know, cutting off of PlayStation, not only are you losing the money from PlayStation buyers literally buying the game, you're losing money from them spending excess money on the game because they enjoy it. Absolutely. And, um, but Microsoft doesn't have to do that, 
right? They, no. they may not care. They may not care. Well, the biggest thing that people forget is Microsoft is not Xbox, and Xbox is not Microsoft. Microsoft, the same week they bought Bethesda, made a $21 billion deal with the U.S. government. Like, they don't need... They don't care. They made three Bethesdas in less than 24 hours after they bought them, so... Yep. It's like yep. I said, people made fun of me on some a group I was in when I said it, but... Microsoft will probably recoup this Activision deal before the year's over. <laughs> oh, yeah. I believe that. So like it's or or at least close enough that it's a wash it doesn't really matter, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's then the again, thing. Then again, I mean if you really look, hell they may make they, they may be maybe recoup that much by June. Yeah, by the time it closes, <laughs> I would be surprised if it was they're probably completely in the black for the sale. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> That's a ridiculous thought, but I mean, it, it, it's not wrong. It's yeah. just, it's unfathomable to think about the amount of money that moves through something like Microsoft. Cause you're right. Uh, Microsoft has the benefit of saying Microsoft is not Xbox and Xbox is not Microsoft. Sony cannot say that. No. PlayStation is the number one, or I think it still is number one for a long time it was, but it's basically Sony's biggest money bringer. Hey, but we got so, the Sony Vio. I got oh, my, my, actually, my, they my sold laptops. That. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> they sold that like two years ago, three years ago. We got our TVs. They and, do uh, have their TVs. They still have phones. Please watch and the Uncharted they still have movie in February. General Consumer Electronics. <laughs> but their money comes from sensors. They yeah. make every sensor that goes into iPhones. Every, yeah. every camera sensor. Uh, pretty much almost every phone has a Sony lens in it or a Sony sensor realistically um, or so many that it doesn't matter. Their, their high-end photography makes a little, some money because their mirrorless cameras are amazing and Sony pretty much has that down lock. Um, so when you look at those things, it's not that Sony doesn't have other means of money and they have like Columbia Pictures and all these you know Sony Pictures and uh, things that are involved. But where their money comes from, where their real buying power as a company comes from, is PlayStation. That is not the way that Xbox... That's not the relationship that Xbox has to its parent company. Um, so it's it's really weird. Sony can't do that because they don't have anything bigger. They have to look at every single thing that comes through them and go... like I, I, It'd be weird. Let me ask you this, Chris. If, if PlayStation... Right, if Sony had bought Activision, right, do you think PlayStation would look at this and go, "It makes sense to leave Xbox, uh, leave Call of Duty on Xbox," or do you think that Xbox, or do you think Sony would hoard it, and make it exclusive? Flip the question, basically. You know, I know this is going to sound hypocritical, but I think it would make significant. It would make way more sense for Sony to do that than Microsoft. Why do you say so? Because Microsoft, I, I think player, I know, but Microsoft's player base is significantly smaller. Because Sony, I, I'm t- in terms of console, right? Because Sony could still go PC, PlayStation. They're clearly putting stuff on PlayStation, and that's the vast majority of Xbox's player base or of Call of Duty's player base. You know, so I think in terms of who could get away with it the easiest, it's Sony. Whether that's a good decision or not, I couldn't tell you, but I can tell you that. Sony having the vast majority of the players on their console and then continuing to put it on PC would cut the player base by significantly less than what Microsoft would cut it by. I mean, I think that's fair. And that's what I was figuring you were going to say is that Microsoft accounts for 40 to, let's say, 60 million potential players for Call of Duty. Yeah. 
whereas PlayStation between PS4 and PS5 alone counts for upwards of 140 million players <clears throat> potentially. Right. And Dwarfs then, of them. course, PC, right? P- PC is, is there. So you're dealing with PlayStation being tripled. Now, here's the thing. If PlayStation did that, do you think that would be a bad thing? Yes. You, like, even if you see them doing it, you would still view it as a bad thing, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think so, too. The weird conversation that was happening a lot last week is this idea, and I'm not saying it's not true of some, but this idea that Sony people would look at this deal completely reverse if it had been PlayStation buying Activision, that they would think it was an amazing move and that it was super smart. And of course, Call of Duty should be exclusive. Well, it is an amazing move and it is super smart. And Call of Duty should probably remain more exclusive. <laughs> yeah. But that's on both sides. It's still a good deal for Microsoft. It's still smart for Microsoft. Or there, there are aspects that you see where you're like, this makes sense and that's the smart thing to do. But on yeah. a consumer level... And for a player base level of people who actually enjoy the product, the product would only stand to have a smaller pool of potential people to play with and access yeah. with if it goes exclusive. Even if it may make sense from yeah. a draw, I, you know. I don't standpoint. necessarily want to rehash the whole conversation, but I think that the biggest problem, the difference, the difference to me between Microsoft and Sony, is that I think eventually Microsoft gets to a breaking point with Game Pass. And eventually, all these games being free is unsustainable. And at what point do we see, yeah, here's your Call of Duty game, but it's, you know, each map is $4. You know, obviously, that's ridiculous. But where is the race to the bottom like Apple and the iPhone games? How, How soon does that start happening? And how fast is Microsoft pushing us towards that future? And I think this specific deal... It helps push us there even more because it's just more things that Microsoft is going to be putting out for free that is eventually going to be like, okay, we can't keep pumping. You know, Sony can't put their games on Game Pass for free because God of War is a hundred million dollar game, Horizon is a hundred million dollar game, right? At what point does Microsoft go, yeah, we're putting them on for free because our games are twenty million dollars, ten million dollars? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, objectively, if you just look at that and you enjoy and they're good games and they're $20 million games, and that's not inherently an issue, but it does mean that you don't, it does mean that the more that Microsoft absorbs and acquires, and then if they do ever decide to be like, we've got to cut the cost of our games to keep sustainable, again, that's a big what if. I don't I don't understand enough about the way that their income breakdown would work and how many people it would require to be subscribed to Game Pass in order for them to just still make games at a certain well just, budget, just think, you know what I mean? Th- think about it this way, right? Game Pass right now is fourteen ninety nine, which mm-hmm. means they or need ten ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine for Ultimate. Because, sure. Which means that they need to sell or they need for every five person, that's a one sixty dollar game. And they now have enough studios to do one $60 game a month on Game Pass. So you're telling me that if every person on Game Pass is playing it, they're still not covering the cost of the game, right? Because every five players have to have to be there to sustain all that. And we know that not everyone is going to play Avowed. Not everyone is going to play, I don't know, Crackdown 3 well, or Condemned 2, whatever they're going to put out. So at a certain <laughs> point where... They're losing money on these games to where it can't be profitable until you wake up one day and they go, Yeah, Game Pass Ultimate is $30 and Game Pass Regular is 25 
And even then, that's still so, not enough. Something that you said that I that I struggled with a little bit as well too, because of the way that we're you know, you're used to a traditional business model, um, mm-hmm. but that's the real question: is what garners success for, or what constitutes rather success for a game on Game Pass? Is it truly that 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 they want five subs? to play each game so that they can say that that game would have sold this and this was its potential earnings. So we're going to count that as earnings towards it or do games success strictly. Is this actually a weird utilitarian, like or uh, utopian idea of games where they look and say, here's our entire pool of money. Here's our, you know, what we make off of game pass, you know, is, um, you know, $1.4 billion a month, whatever it be, right? And within that, every game is going to just be strictly based off of how good or bad the game was received. And if it reached a certain internal milestone to justify the game is like, you know, the game's continued player base. Like, okay, Forza Horizon 5 comes out, right? And a bunch of people play it, and then that player count drops. Forza 5 still a success right now for Microsoft? Like, what is, does Microsoft consider it a success? 75% of its player base has dropped, which is not that weird. That's pretty common for almost all games, specifically a racing game um, that is that doesn't really have a strong online component like a, like a Warzone or an Apex or something like that. So is the real answer that there won't be a race to the bottom or a cut in budget because a game's success will be strictly based off of how it reviewed and if it hit a certain player count and because it was under that umbrella? Or do they really genuinely look at each game and go, what was the potential earnings for this game? If we sold this game at 60 and it was this many people, then it would have made this much money. So instead, this many people played it. If we would have sold it, and ostensibly less people would have played it had we sold it. So let's cut that number by 15%. That's the potential money we would have made on this game. This game was too expensive, not a success. Is that What are their internal metrics for success? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Eventually, don't you think they'd have to move off of the monolithic side of looking at it as if it were an actual $60 release? Because if the majority of your gaming revenue comes from a subscription service, then you can't really go, well, if we would have sold this many, this is what it would have been. You have to well, change your metric at some they point. They are. They have changed their metrics. I just think at a certain point, you either learn to expect less or you live long enough to... Up, you know, charge more for Game Pass is one of the two. You, you know, I do agree that Game Pass goes up. Game Pass goes. We see it with Netflix. Game Pass goes up no matter what. All I'm saying is, you see, you saw how mad people got at Halo for their cosmetics to the point where they have to break up bundles and make it cheaper. Which, personally, for me, I find ridiculous. They should have kept the prices where they were. That was in line with the industry. But you saw how mad people got, and you think that this reality isn't going to make that just as bad in other things. Like whether or not that's okay for you. And I don't mind it. I don't, I don't mind paying for cosmetics, but the whining about halo and then being happy that all these games are free on game pass do not mesh together. In my opinion. I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of like that idea of, uh, someone was talking about the other day. Um, I can't remember who, and I didn't actually end up 
hearing the whole conversation. So I'm not going to talk about what they said, but the base level top idea is something that people on the PlayStation side have been saying for a long time is that people are going to start seeing games that are not part of Game Pass day one. And they're going to do this thing of, I'm just going to wait till the game hits Game Pass, which basically pushes the developer to have to be like, we're not getting sales because people aren't buying the game because they're anticipating it coming to Game Pass. So we kind of need to get on Game Pass as soon as we can so that we'll make money because otherwise people are just never going to buy the game. That or we have to hold out not making enough money for a while before people realize we're not going to give up and relent to Game Pass. Therefore, they'll start buying it and giving it a try. One of those two things ends up happening, right? There's plenty of games where people just go, ah, you know, I'll wait for it to hit Game Pass, which I don't think is a healthy mindset at all. And I think it it can potentially kill indie developers. Uh, but we're kind of talking about a future where Game Pass is... I say this. Everyone has this idea that on the Xbox side of things, pretty much every game that releases will be on Game Pass uh, day one. Yeah, so it's definitely what people feel, and I don't mean Microsoft published games. I mean people are people act as though the the future for Xbox is that every game that releases on the platform releases day and date on Game Pass. I don't see how that works. I just possible, uh, but it creates that expectation of why buy games if I can wait for them, which is not a healthy expectation. And exactly. When you're you you're seeing PlayStation kind of move toward this idea of a Spartacus, right? I am actually like, what does this mean for certain tiers of games? Do we mm-hmm. kill off double A games again? Do all games become double A because of budgetary? Like it becomes where it makes more sense to keep games within a smaller budget range? Probably. Do indie games just die off or is it get way more selective to where only certain indie games are there. Is that a good or a bad thing? Does is actually being more selective with indie games stop the, you know, the 1000 plus puzzle game and, you know, I just just being honest, does it stop my name is Mayo 3? You know, not. does it look at games that really don't does it look at Life of a Black Tiger and go, yeah, we, you can't even justify trying to make this anymore cuz mm-hmm. people's expectations are too different. Probably. I don't know. Um we're gonna uh, move I, on. Well, while I, we're do, I, this. I do want to say one thing. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just quick, Blake, delete your comment. I don't care that developers are happy on Game Pass. Doesn't change my opinion that the future could probably be bad. <laughs> I don't care. I know you've typed it. You've probably already sent it, but I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't change my opinion. I really hope that when this episode goes live tomorrow at a random point in the day in our personal little discord with Blake and <laughs> that I just see a thing of like screw you Chris I'm correct <laughs> devs can be happy all they want it's a, it's a good it's a good point to bring up devs can be happy all they want that doesn't mean that there's a deleterious effect five years down the line ten years down the line when my kid is playing video games and he can only get he he doesn't ever see an experience like God of War, and I have to be like, "Well, Sonny, remember the? Let me show you the old type of games." And I got to swing Kratos's axe or whatever. It's like it, we don't know what what will happen, but I don't think there's a possible way to keep up the level of hundred million dollar game quality and not charge for them. I don't care who's yeah. happy or not. <laughs> well, and like Nintendo will continue to be that bastion, right? Of 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 full price games. Sure, and Sony not, will too. Not I think. not not necessarily full priced good games. Top of the industry. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really. It's hard, right? I don't want to talk like, for what the system is. I think Mario looks 
great considering yeah. that it's on Switch, actually. I think that Yoshi's Craft World looks great considering it's on Switch. But that's not the same type of game we're talking about, right? Like, you know, the Nintendo $60 game has never really been analogous on a production level and this big moment, uh, you know, this blockbuster feel that like a God of War Horizon has. Now, that doesn't matter to some people, but I still would like a world in where games that are events like God of War and stuff stay around. Now, here's the, the thing that we haven't really talked about is how much can you really look at the movie industry and kind of compare it to this, right? We're like right now, um, it's not exactly the same. I, I want to throw that out there, but like there's this conversation going around that uh, due to like recent performance of like the last duel and um, what was that West Side Story or something? Yeah, that great movie. Okay, like those came out and great movies apparently, really high, re- really highly rated, terrible box office performance. And there's this feeling going around right now from a lot of people, and it's been being talked about for years at this point, but this idea that movies like The Last Duel won't be able to release in cinema anymore because an actual movie theater is only going to be sustainable for the biggest blockbuster cultural event things like a Marvel movie or like a Transformers movie and these larger-than-life licensed IP and that you won't get high-budget, hard fantasy games that release in in theater because people don't want to fund them. People would rather spend less money on a movie that's similar that goes directly to a streaming service or something like that. And if that's the case, then we're never going to necessarily see games like God of War go away if, if this industry follows the movie industry at all similarly, right? It would just start to feel like do all AAA games. Like if we if we move it over, mm-hmm. Marvel's in the games, right? Disney's in the games. Is it going to be that in the future, the only AAA games that you really find that release off of services like Game Pass and are instead full price, you pay the full price day one, $60, $70, whatever it be, because Disney's got a new Marvel game and there's a new Star Wars game. There's a new Indiana Jones game. Or, you know, not that I'm saying that's going to happen, but is it a similar situation to that, to where there is a certain type of game that is the only game that's able to exist outside of the the walled gardens of a game pass or a potentially Spartacus potentially is that. And then at that point you're not having to worry about your son, you know, whatever 20 years from now, not being able to play a game. That's the quality of God of war. Cause that'll exist. Somebody will be putting something out. May not be God of war. <laughs> the reboot, but you know what I mean? Yeah, the, 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 the uh, next God of War soft reboot. <laughs> when we're in the Christianity tr- Christianity trilogy, I can't wait. I hope they do that so bad. I'm gonna kill God. I, I, um, there, there, there's no way they will, but that would be like in a in a crazy off universe. That would be amazing. <laughs> think about think about that game where all the bosses are like the prophets or not the prophets the. Uh, the apostles, the, the, the apostles, yeah, that's the apostles. Yeah. The big boss is Judas. <laughs> like he's the one. <laughs> You fight everyone, kill Jesus, then you have to fight Judas, then Jesus rises again, and you have to fight him a second time. Oh, that'd be so sick. Anyway, um, <laughs> someone someone will obviously keep making. I'll say Dante, Dante's Inferno exists. I just want you to know. It never got a sequel, but that Dante's Inferno would have been the series to do all those things. Does it have Troy Baker voicing Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior? <laughs> 
<laughs> buy my Jesus NFT. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I oh think somebody will obviously keep making these games. It'll all be fine. I just think eventually there's going to be a drop in quality, it, at least if this continues this way, because they're not going to, you can't afford to put the same amount of money in. Delete your comment. Let's move on. <laughs> well, some people would argue that EA and their push towards trying to be big, normal business people are the exact reason that a game like 2042 can come out completely broken and not working and missing features mm-hmm. like in-game voice chat because <laughs> they're like, we have to meet deadlines for investors. So we're going to put the game out and then fix it later because people will buy it mm-hmm. and then it'll be okay. Uh and that's kind of the conversation right now is like the fear of something like that happening with like Call of Duty because a lot of people didn't like the new one. People have that thought. So we'll see what ends up happening. But moving over to the community's take, which is not entirely out of, uh, out of range for our stuff here, is, of course, in regards to what are your thoughts on the Microsoft purchase of Activision Blizzard? Do you think Sony has to respond in kind with its own large acquisition? Or do you think they continue to bolster themselves with individual studio purchases that they have strong relationships with? Um, and man... People had some opinions on this one. Uh, I'm glad. That's not a bad thing. Uh, it's it's very interesting. Um, so over on the Discord, which has a community's take section where you, this question is asked and you can answer, and then there's a community's take discussion if you'd like to communicate with other people about their thoughts. Um, Got a good number of responses. One of the first ones we got was from our longtime listener and patron, Jehudi, MD. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. He says... Um, Another thing to come to mind about this purchase, it seems Microsoft is positioning Xbox as the destination for first-person shooter. With Call of Duty under their belt now, they have Halo, Call of Duty, and Doom. Arguably very influential if one of the shooters, uh, if one of the shooters out there. I think the only other significant publisher is EA. Personally, I think Apex Legends is worth mentioning since it's the best that they have. Battlefield has fallen off, especially lately. Since Sony has positioned themselves as the fighting genre console, uh, Street Fighter V exclusivity, buying Evo, many fighters releasing initially on PC, uh, PS consoles, etc., Microsoft seemed to be wanting to position themselves as the FPS console. Uh, that's his kind of first remark. What I think is interesting about this is I would almost argue that Xbox has bounced this around in such weird ways. But I would even go as far as to say that on the most core side of gaming with people who really care to say what system is what, Microsoft and Xbox have never been able to shirk off what they gained in the 360 era of being the FPS console. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yes. There's this idea that even if it's not FPS, let's just call it shooter console. But there was this idea, like if, if it was going to be an exclusive in the 360 generation, you pretty much knew it was a shooter. Now, that, that was that actually true? No. But it was true often enough that it became synonymous with Xbox. And even though I would really say that Xbox went out of their way to diversify themselves in the beginning of the, of the Xbox One era, they still up until the very end with, with all these console with all these acquisitions they made i still feel like people viewed them as all they do is shooters all they do is shooters and driving games because of forza correct 
So I feel like it's. I feel like Microsoft have always have already kind of always been the FPS console. Now clearly that's not true when the majority of Call of Duty playership went to PlayStation, as we talked about, um, like a massively. And Fortnite, uh, which is not a first-person shooter, uh, but Fortnite is also primary strong player base is on con- uh, is on console with PlayStation. I don't know Apex's numbers. I mean, is is PlayStation the dominant platform for Apex? Yes. Or maybe so, PC. I'm not 100 sure between those two. Okay. So um, I don't know. I mean, they can definitely work their way around. I would almost say that Xbox is trying to position themselves, in my mind, more than anything, as the RPG studio. With all the stuff that, like, all the acquisitions they've made, it seems like their idea is like, let's just get a bunch of RPGs. They have Fable in the works. They have, of course, bought Bethesda and all the RPGs that come with that. Uh, they have Avowed in the works. They have uh, in, Exo- in Exile. I always want to call them Exile, but in Exile <laughs> and whatever they're going to do. You know what I mean? Uh, these are these are long known, and they have the Outer Worlds too. Yes, I mean, they do. That's what is that? You know what I mean? Like that. That to me makes them the default RPG console. Now Sony, of course, will remain the default JRPG console by you know by opposite of that. Um, but it's an interesting way to view that. What do you think? Uh, anything that we haven't talked about with that one in particular that you want to comment no, on? I think he hit it. Very good. Um, he did He did add a little bit. He goes, as for Sony, I don't think they need to do anything at this moment, but they have a plan for a future without Call of Duty. This game brings in huge revenue, and they have to plan if Microsoft decides to pull the plug. Given the enormity of the announcement, I think a big state of play slash conference is in order to blow all their load out and show their players that they don't have to worry about losing Activision Blizzard games. And then he says, no small feat, obviously. Now, I've seen people say this. I've seen people look at this and, and say, in, reg- in response to the Activision Blizzard thing, Sony needs to go ahead and, t- and talk about what all their studios are doing. I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> For a number of reasons. There are games that can be in the works that do not make it. It happens. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a good idea to be like, hey, this studio is making this and then never deliver it. Uh, You know, we hear about them sometimes after the fact, like when uh, Sony Santa Monica had the sci-fi space shooter. It never got officially announced. But you could see that it was in production and there's artwork and stuff from it. Stig got let go. They close that part of the team down, move them over to other places and other projects. I think it's probably smart that Sony did not go out super early, go, this is the game, this is what we're working on, and then never deliver it. So I don't know. I am a big fan of don't blow your load for any of these things until you are ready to show them. But I am biased in the fact that I've thought for years that the ideal way to handle game announcements is to not announce until you're very close to a release date and you know that release date will be very unlikely to change. Console manufacturers have this weird thing. and I, I, Chris, you might agree. Might I understand I? At, the be- at the beginning of a console generation, when your task is to make someone understand what to expect from that console generation within its first few years... You have more of a reason to, of course, show off launch title games, launch window games, 
and then also show off games that could be coming within the first two years, even if they're not quite ready. Mm-hmm. Because the goal there is to show what the system's idea is. Uh, you know, this is the identity behind the system. But once you get past that and you're two or three years into a console, I don't think the answer is to show everything as soon as you can. Um, so, well, for me, I think showing everything and canceling one or two, like say you show 10 games and cancel two. Right, you're yep. putting out eight. I think that's fine. I think it's better than what we have now currently with Sony, where we're like, are they making anything? You know, I know that's kind of ridiculous, but really, like, what do we know that they have after God of War, Horizon, and Gran Turismo this year? Nothing. No, I mean those are three very large games, right? But but once, yes. once God of War comes out, there's nothing left. At least that they've told us, which they will in February, supposedly. But um, shout out Sony fan for being entirely wrong. Uh, But I just think that I think that having some kind of timeline, like maybe not a Disney timeline where it's like, oh, we've got God of War 2, God of War 3, God of War 4, Horizon 2, Horizon 3, Horizon spinoff. You know, you don't need to go through everything, but you could go through here's one game from each studio, plus they have two unannounced projects. You know what I mean? That might do better to quell some of the Sony has nothing left. Like, what is Sony doing? You know, because that, I think that's one of the things that makes the Microsoft acquisitions hit a little harder for some people is it feels like Sony doesn't have anything going on. Well, in comparison to what you were just talking about, right, this idea of like a Marvel slash Disney timeline. Yeah. How do you think that you deal with that when you're dealing with new IP? Because one of the things that Marvel, like, right, Marvel can afford to show that because people know who Moon Knight is. People know, definitely do now they? more than ever. Well, now more than ever, people are more on the pulse of comic book characters. And even if they don't, right, they can say, There's, we're, we're talking about doing a Moon Knight series and it's going to be planned for this. You can easily Google, what's Moon Knight? And you can find Moon Knight and get an idea of whether you visually like it, you like the tone that they're probably going to go for, and then you have that thing. I think the hardest thing with that from Sony is that, and the reason I say that is right. A lot of times when they show that, they'll say, "Hey, we have a Moon Knight series," but they don't show it right there. Mm-hmm. So it's just Moon Knight and Blades coming. But you can look up Blade and you can look up Moon Knight. You don't have to show a trailer immediately because those are IP that, whether you personally, as the individual watching it, know who they are, you can find out within an easy two-minute Google search. Well, I don't. Um, whereas Sony has to deal with this thing of like. Think about Horizon before it ever released. Just saying, hey, Gorilla's making a new game called Horizon Zero Dawn. That doesn't really tell you anything, and it, it doesn't give you a reason to be excited until you see something tied to it, right? I don't think Horizon got exciting for people when they saw the video of like a robot dinosaur being attacked by a girl <laughs> with a bow, and it was like, oh, what the hell is this? That, that Showing something is really important when you're dealing with new IP, Right, yeah, but, and but you have you can you, Ghost of Tsushima, right? Where Paris, uh, the, the Paris Games uh, Expo or whatever it's called, uh, they used to do Gamescom, whatever it is, uh, where they show a trailer, and it's just a CG trailer of uh, rural Japan, and you see Jin for a second, and then it goes Ghost of Tsushima. You can get people hyped that way. Yeah, that's all they need to do is kind of give people a feel of what it is. You could even, but didn't we have, complain? 
didn't we complain that they did? Didn't we complain that Xbox showed nothing but CG trailers? I yeah, yeah. I mean, I but, did. I'll tell you right I now. F- I think I would much rather see a game gameplay, right? Because I could be excited for Redfall, but guess what? The moment I saw gameplay pictures of Redfall, Redfall looks a lot worse than that CG trailer. But I think, I, and my interest for it bottomed. What we're talking about is announcing potential plans for the future. I'm not saying show the games. I'm not even saying do a full thing. I'm saying, why wouldn't you put a timeline up there and be like, okay, here's Aloy leaning on a long neck. Horizon Zero Dawn. Here's Deacon sitting on a motorcycle and he's holding the head of a zombie. Days gone. You know, you could do that kind of stuff. I think there's a difference between having an entire E3 showcase where you're supposed to be showing off the, the next year of your console with all CGI and being like, let's say Sony announced like, we're showing you the, the, the next five years of PlayStation. That's a different thing than E3, which people like to think of as we're announcing for genuine for announcements ne- this year, yeah. or next year. Yeah. You know, when you throw a date on something and all it has is a CG trailer, then yeah, that's dumb. But like, if Dying Light Three got announced tomorrow with a CG trailer, I'd be like, "Cool." I think there's a different difference for me, depending on the venue. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could see that. We we get forms of that right now, though, right? Like Dead Island Two, we got yeah. a CG trailer for that, and that game doesn't even exist as far as we can tell. All right. Um, but I mean, I get I get your thing, but there's just so many things that make it different. Like you know, it, it's, of course, I compared the movie industry and the game industry earlier for a reason. Uh, but one of the big differences is that you can say, "Hey, we have Moon Knight slotted for this area because you can write, uh, you can completely write, cast, shoot, edit an entire season uh, or show in six months, eight months." A year, you can do all that in under a year. And most movies and TV series are shot and edited in a roughly year time span. Um, so right. games don't have that benefit. So it is a little, you know. I get that it's harder because games have to go through. What are the mechanics? What is the idea by this game? Now you're right. You can show it off in this more vague of this is what we hope to be the future, but we want to be clear that not everything here will make it off the cutting room floor. You know? so, let me give you a distinction and see if this helps make see where I'm coming from. They're showing off ideas at that point. They're not showing off games. Sure. Yeah. And I think that would be a distinction. Hey, this is what we want to do. We like this. We don't know how it's going to work out. Horizon Zero Dawn might not work out. We might go do Kill Zone 3 or 4. But for 5, sorry. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying. We're showing you ideas. We're showing you what could happen. That's what I think is important. Or at mm. least that's what I think is the distinction here for me. At least yeah. in terms of what we're talking about with a slate of games. Well, I guess in, in relation to what Judy's specifically saying, do you really, like, depending on, it, it would depend on how they handle it. Do you really think just coming out this close to this and being like, hey, here's everything that we're working on, that would reek of desperation to me, if I'm being honest. <laughs> And it would feel like a move made because you felt like you had to make a response rather than I have everything together because I have a re- I have an actual statement that's worth making here. And I, I don't know if Sony wants to put themselves in a position to look like they're desperate when they don't really need to, right? I think that they would look stronger in the eye of the public if they 
respond in a way that feels meaty and is a response when they're ready and have something to show. But that all depends on where the studios are, right? Because like you have like what's Insomniac working on? We know Wolverine, right? We know Spider Man. So do we show one of those right now? Does it does it do those even count? Like would is that would that be a response or do we does it need to be something we didn't know about prior? And if not, like what is what is do we talk about Ghost of Tsushima two now? Do we talk about what Naughty Dog's working on next now? Like so many of the ga- so many of the studios just put out games within the last two to you know year and a half to three years that it, it'd be re- it'd be weird to try and show because like how far along in in development of their next thing are they? Uh, that's a genuine question. I'm I'm be curious. Like Santa be Monica has another game besides God of War, right? We, yeah. That Corey is apparently directing. Yeah, but. You say it would be desperate, but think about if Sony, it would be a desperate move. But think about if Sony had just put out a, a Miles or uh, Spider-Man Two trailer, same day Activision news happens, or the day after. I mean, actually, that'd be a pretty baller smart move if they had, yeah. if they were able to, right? Like if they had one that they could reasonably get together. What if even if it was a thirty-second tease and you just see like a fucking a spear hit down in Craven's <laughs> Craven's, shirt. yeah, it's oh, that's that. I would have never thought about Activision again for like two weeks, you know, <laughs> like because I want Craven's Last Hunt. I want to see that. So I don't know. I think yeah, maybe it, it is a desperation move. So it was putting out a Horizon story trailer the day it happened, but yeah, yeah. I, unless that was just which, regardless, right? It makes you it makes you come off as desperate, even if that was a completely planned. You already were going to do that that day, right. and sadly, the same day. Microsoft decides to drop a bombshell, so your little piece of news feels like you scrambled to put something out. The thing I really think is like this is in this industry. It's it doesn't matter if you look desperate if what you showed looked good. Who cares yeah. if Sony looks desperate if they put out a trailer for a CGI trailer for Fire Sprites game and it looks sick. Who cares if they put out a, a Desperation CGI trailer for Santa Monica's new game and it looks sick? Who cares if they put out a new trailer for Destruction All-Stars Free-to-Play and it looks great? Like Desperation doesn't mean that it's not a good move or that just because it's a desperate move, it's not a good move. Yeah, I just think that whenever you have so many people, including us, uh, and I don't, I, it's not even that I'm saying this just because I don't want to be hypocritical. I just, I think in looking at me giving Microsoft hell for showing so much CG stuff when they did and having not enough gameplay after they had already been talked, like after people had already said Microsoft has a problem of showing too much CGI and then they just do it again, right? Like they did it with the Xbox reveal, like the Xbox Series X reveal uh, event. Their little reel, and then they did it at E3 immediately following. It's like, all you're showing me is CG, and you're announcing a bunch of games. And I criticized them at the time, like, don't show me Everwild when you don't know what Everwild is. You just showed me a CGI trailer, and then whenever you like, there's an interview with uh, the, the, the team after. It's like, yeah, we don't even know what the game is right now. <laughs> so it it was basically just, hey, we we made a CG trailer of what our minds very loose vision of this is. We don't know what the mechanics necessarily are for the game. We don't know what the story, if there even is going to be one for the game is. We're not sure if it's a single player game or a multiplayer experience. 
I, just, I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm going to call that desperate, which I do think that was desperate, don't worry, it made for a good show. I'll give you that. But you say, who cares? The, the casual gamers that might be looking in at that moment probably don't care. And they won't care again until the game's actually being shown because it's about to come out. And then they'll care because the game is coming. But for right. people like us who are a little more finger on the trigger and finger on the pulse, I think that we got to, in this case, I'm calling a spade a spade. If Sony did that, I would be like, you're doing exactly what Microsoft did. Yeah, I may get excited about it because I own the system and it's still cool. But in the, in the, you know, that, that Vampire Masquerade 2 trailer they put out at the Xbox event looked cool. It did. But as we also see, Vampire the Masquerade 2 might not even be coming out. So it's like in the moment, what did it really, in, in hindsight, you have this feeling for on ours of like, what did Microsoft benefit by showing that? And what would Sony really benefit by showing something that may not be ready? But uh, we'll see. I do want to get to one. This one's interesting because this one's very different viewpoint of it. This is Shafedog247, one of our patrons. He says, Shafedog hot take of the week. This was simply an odd flex by Microsoft, <clears throat> overpaying for a publisher that has too many studios involved with the same franchise. Brilliant. The fallout hasn't begun, but I suspect a decent exodus of talent since Microsoft isn't exactly known for cultivating original content. So it may be bye-bye Guitar Hero and bye-bye Tony Hawk. I don't know what he means by that necessarily, but let's see. I just think that Microsoft isn't completely happy with their positioning with Game Pass and are trying to swing for the fence to get more subs and gain market share. 25 million subs sounds great, but everyone I know personally does random months here and there, depending on offerings and what day one releases are coming. Ultimately, I don't see this purchase affecting Sony long term. They have too large a library of IPs to dip into. If they need to steal some thunder back, wake me up when Microsoft buys Stadia Tech from Google, and then start ta- and then start taking bets on when it goes full Zune. <laughs> Don't invoke Zune here, Shafe Dog. This is a safe I know place. It- I know it sounds like I'm ha- I'm hating Microsoft Xbox, but I don't. It's just at some point they decide they, they deciding that shooters trump new IPs and new experience. See, everyone thinks of them as the shooting console. They have they still haven't shaken that. Uh, anyway, he goes, if they create something that grabs my attention and I can't play elsewhere, uh, I would buy another one of their systems. Um, Shave Dog, thanks for the the response. You're not alone in thinking that they overpaid for a company. That's one of Chris's biggest arguments was that they overpaid, and what pressure does that put on other future acquisitions from anybody to be like, well, Activision got twenty million over there, you know, their market value. What about me? So, in that regard, I can kind of see. I am curious as to what you mean by bye bye Guitar Hero and bye bye Tony Hawk. Unless you just mean that the actual workforce that might be able to work on those games are leaving, so you're just left with a small pool. I don't know the answer to that. Really hard to say. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? On any of this, really? Um, I mean, he's kind of more or less, and I'm more or less in line with you. I don't really understand why they wouldn't bring back Tony Hawk. That seems like the move to make, especially now that you have the money. But for the most part, I don't have too much to say on it, if I'm being honest. Well, he said something that, and it's kind of what you're talking about right now, too. He said oh, yeah. something of, I I don't see this purchase affecting Sony long-term. They have too large of a library of IPs to dip into if they need to steal some Thunder back. So here's the thing. Tony Hawk and Guitar Hero, at different points in their respective you know, lineages of franchises, 
were money machines. And then at other times, they were money drains. Much like a large swath of Sony's IP. So both Guitar Hero and Tony Hawk coming back in big ways and Sony bringing back IP that may be beloved by certain core aspects of their fan base are very similar to me in the sense that they're not necessarily for business purposes. Like the, the buying of Activision here is a smart overall business purchase for Microsoft. Sony putting $100 million into a new Resistance game, as much as I may want that, is not mm-hmm. necessarily a smart business move from return of investment potential. Instead, it's a, it's a smart PR move if they can manage to pump out a new decent Resistance at $60 million, $40 million. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I agree that Sony have a, have a large library of IPs, but at the, realistically, what Microsoft's going to do with a lot of this IP they got from Activision is put teams on them so they have, oh, here's a new Tony Hawk as a, uh, as a Game Pass release. And the Tony Hawk game didn't have to have that much money put into it. It was a $20 million game, $20 million game. Bam. There you go. New Tony Hawk. That's your Game Pass game. And <laughs> that'll excite some people. And bam, you get to go on. Next up, okay, um, we're going to make a uh, sequel to... Um, Syndicate or whatever that game was called. Uh, not Syndicate. My brain is failing me. Syndicate was a different game. Either way, Raven Software's game. Uh, my, my Singularity. Singularity. We're gonna make a. We're gonna make a sequel to Singularity. It's a fifteen million dollar game. Raven got to make it. There. Game Pass. Though all that is is just fluffing up Game Pass with nostalgia and IP that you have that you have access to, and then you can still let people make new IP. I do think that. I would love to see Sony do that with their small IP, but that's what that's as much. I don't want to see Sony dump a hundred million dollars into a franchise that only has the potential to make forty million dollars. Right, absolutely. So you know, but but I would, yeah, I would love to see Sony be like, people love Killzone. Let me throw fifteen million to this studio over here and then see what kind of Killzone they can make. Maybe it's a top down. Maybe it's a isometric shooter. Maybe it's a first person shooter. Maybe it's multiplayer. Maybe it's single player. Maybe it's in the kill zone world, but it's not even a shooter. You can take those bets on much smaller, like a $10 million game. You don't want to take that bet on a $200 million game once, once you're paying for marketing and game budget, you know? So, but Microsoft buying Stadia Tech, I wonder if they'd even need to, right? I mean, uh, xCloud works pretty well, if I'm being honest. I actually, I might even say xCloud works better than Google Stadia. Easily. Strong agree. Uh, or at least in the very limited experiences I've had with each one of them. Um, let's see, I'm going to grab a few more here. Uh, Rude Cold says, it's a win-win for Microsoft as Call of Duty is the biggest selling game on PlayStation. So even if they keep it on platform, uh, on the platform, they are making 70% of the profits to Sony's 30% of the split. And then for those who don't want to pay $70 for it, they can draw them into Game Pass instead. I personally don't like seeing publishers being bought out in consolidation of the industry. I hope Sony doesn't do something rash and buy another publisher. I don't think it's needed. Be interesting to see how they will affect Sony's plans for Spartacus, though. Hopefully, we'll make it even more inviting for PlayStation gamers. Here's the, here's the interesting takeaway I want to talk about here. And it really is the, what does Sony do here? 
And the problem, uh, as I think Chris actually mentioned last week, is that while I agree that I don't, I don't want Sony to be rash and go out and immediately make a big purchase, if they don't, their options for purchases may go significantly down the drain, and their option for third-party content on their systems may go significantly down the drain. If, if Sony doesn't look and buy EA, which I'm not saying they should, but if Sony doesn't buy EA within the next you know, year or two, what's to say Microsoft doesn't? And if, and if, or, or what's to say Tencent doesn't? Now, of course, Tencent's not as big of a detrimental hit to Sony because Tencent has every reason in the world to want to keep EA on PlayStation. But Microsoft doesn't. So if Microsoft can eye out EA or eye out Ubisoft, then Sony being too slow on the draw for something they could otherwise potentially get may end up being further detrimental to them. It's just hard to say. So, yeah. Um, Go ahead, I don't know. I just think that it's like I said, Sony needs to either do something or like you said, they could end up losing it, losing the opportunity. I just don't know that Microsoft can get away with buying too much more. I know Saul was insistent that we're not a monopoly yet, but we're far too close for them to do much else. I think I agree that I think it would be very hard or at least the process would be a lot different for EA purchase of by Microsoft to go through. Um, but it, I still believe that if, if, you know, if Tencent buys them again, it doesn't completely ruin PlayStation, but that's still one less open thing out there. And then Tencent continue to grow into something that might actually end up becoming a competitor for PlayStation. Maybe not, but Sony has to kind of look at this. Sony's got to look at everything from a survival mode right now. Mm-hmm. So whether or not we actually agree with the decisions, if Sony as a business, strictly speaking, sees that they need to buy EA to remain a position of leverage and ability to put certain things out so that PlayStation can remain relevant as their primary uh, form of income, I believe they would absolutely do that. Uh, and they should at that point. Again, strictly business speaking. Now, for the good of the industry, hopefully <coughs> EA and Ubisoft and all these things do stay independent. But that's more for what we benefit from the industry, not necessarily what the, the companies do. The, the companies benefit. The companies stand to benefit by buying as much crap as they can and consolidating as much as they can. So at that point, it is what it is. Uh, I do want to grab uh, a couple off of something other than Discord since I've been a little stuck to that. Uh, so this one's quick. This is over on Twitter. Uh, Halster34 says they should buy Ember Lab. That's his yes. entire thing. Ember Lab would be a very smart purchase for Sony, and clearly, they uh, they had a good relationship with Kenna. So, I don't think that that's out of the, that's that out of the blue. And if Ember Lab can make a game like uh, a game like Kenna, when I know Sony had hands in it, but I, I guarantee you that Sony didn't dump hundreds of million dollars into that game. That was probably a very budgeted game that did well for Sony. So, that would be pretty cool. Uh, this one on here is uh, red. He says, my thoughts are Xbox was sorry at first party, so they're buying all the third party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, maybe that is it. Maybe they felt like, hey, we can't foster this talent internally enough to combat Sony. So if we buy out other talented developers and then allow them to benefit from the fact that we have Microsoft money so we don't have to worry about releasing a game for investors' sake, then uh, we can potentially get Sony quality games if if they're allowed to make a five year Call of Duty or a four year Call of Duty instead of a two and a half year Call of Duty. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. 
I think the mm-hmm. two to three year thing may end up being what makes it exclusive. If they end up doing that, that's when I could see the franchise potentially being an exclusive title. Yeah, but if they're going to keep, if they want to look at the way it's going right now, then let it keep going as the machine that it is and just kind of run itself. Mm-hmm. Is exactly. that your thought? Yeah, mm-hmm. if they're going to keep it as it is, then they, it would make sense. All right, let's see. Over on Facebook, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do one more. And I haven't heard from Joey in a while. Joey McPherson. Hey, man. Hope you're doing well. He says, in my opinion, this was to catch up even more to PlayStation. PlayStation, in my opinion, is so far ahead of Xbox that Microsoft had to do something like this. I don't think PlayStation or Sony has to do anything when it comes to buying another developer or publisher. But I think they should try and buy all the stuff from Konami. Whereas Konami isn't doing much with that stuff. And people tend to think of PlayStation when it comes to the most of those franchises. So this comes back around to what I was talking about with Capcom earlier. Mm-hmm. People look and they're like, to combat Activision, buying Capcom would be a great purchase. To combat Activision, buying mm-hmm. Konami would be a great purchase. To combat Activision, buying, uh, let's see, th- there's another publisher out there that I'm just not thinking of. But, Ubisoft. Well, Ubisoft, I think, is closest. Let's let's say let's say Square. I actually think Square is a is a close enough example. All right, that's probably the big the closest to the edge. But those three purchases, and I'm not saying Sony couldn't do that, and Sony wouldn't do that, and that wouldn't be a benefit for them. But it depends on what you mean by combating Activision, because the reality is is that the only publishers that exist that have the full through and, and I, I could be wrong, but I very much feel this way. The only publishers that exist that have as much of a finger in the casual market as something like Activision and the and Call of Duty that could really truly be a similar purchase would be an EA. Ubisoft is on the low end of that, but they do have a, a lot of casual players. And then probably the closest thing other than EA would be Take-Two. Those are probably the real answers because you can look at a single franchise from each one of them as a franchise that's big enough. So you have Battlefield, Apex, and all those things that come that are multiple tens of millions sells every time mm-hmm. and are big yearly releases. And then with Take-Two, you have games that I think are stylistically a little closer to Sony with like Red Dead and Grand Theft Auto, but that sell 30, 40, 50 million tap heavily into the casual market and have a strong online presence, which is also something that Sony, uh, and actually it's kind of weird, right? Think about Microsoft gains every bit of Activision's mobile division with King and Blizzard or King. Uh, Blizzard, I guess does have a little bit, but King gives Microsoft a big put into phone, the mobile gaming sphere right now. Sony doesn't have that buying square does, uh, would give you some, I'll give it that. They'd give you that, but you wouldn't get as much benefit from the console and primary side of things, but you would get mobile sphere. Buying Konami really wouldn't get you much at all in that regard. Uh, buying Capcom, even less in that regard. Buying EA, they have a pretty big mobile department. Uh, 
you would gain a pretty strong foot in mobile gaming. Buying Take-Two, normally you wouldn't have got that, but Take-Two just bought Zynga. If you buy Take-Two after they bought Zynga, which I don't even know how possible that is, considering how recently they bought Zynga, <laughs> you, would, you would gain mobile and you would gain console level with, something, with the likes of Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead. And those, those would be the only purchases that me, that I can personally see that are actually on the same level as Activision. Yeah. But that's yeah. business, right? Not necessarily consumer, because I get why a consumer would be like, buy Capcom, they make great games. But Capcom's games, as we just saw, Monster Hunter Rise is selling amazingly, and it's only at 8 million units. And I don't mean that disparagingly, but my point being is, how do you compare a game that's selling at 8 million or Resident Evil 7 at 5.7 million? How do you compare that against Call of Duty? You don't. <laughs> you don't. That, that's a different league. You're talking about a completely different thing. And which one of those is more casual? The numbers are what tells you, right? Call of Duty can only get to 100 million units sold because it's so casual friendly. And so if Sony's going to combat that, they need a Grand Theft Auto V, which has sold more than any other game in history. They need a Red Dead Redemption 2, which is probably sold at this point 40 to 50 million. They don't need a 5.5 million selling game. Horizon sold more than 5.5 million. Horizon sold over 10 million. God of War sold over 10 million. PlayStation's internal studios are outperforming Capcom. Right. Yeah, you'd have to wonder, though, if the, the Sony bump would bring those games to like would monster hunter rise sell like okay because if you think about it now Maybe. right the eight million was just on switch yeah which so, is impressive impressive it's almost there's almost a argument that if it was on everything it would outsell horizon and god of war and all that so yeah, and that's also Monster Hunter, which is their biggest franchise. It surpassed Resident Evil by far. Monster right. Hunter World is their best-selling franchise or oh, best-selling yeah. game ever. It's easier so, to yeah, compare I mean, Monster Hunter because or Resident Evil because that's on everything and it's not selling close. So, yeah, well, and they only have a handful of uh, which good for them that they're making a, such a profitable living off of three to four IP. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really good for them, but. You know, it's just you can't really the closest that you have there is Monster Hunter World, and that's still a very niche game. Uh, that's their best selling game, and I think Monster Hunter World is at. Hold on, I I, I know it's up there. Monster Hunter World as of October twenty twenty one is twenty million units, and that's an outlier for Capcom. So at that point, it's still it's not the thing. I mean. It's just like Resident Evil 7 taking five years to sell 10 million. That's awesome that it hit 10 million for a series like Resident Evil and horror. Uh, but, you know, as we talked about, I mean, Horizon Zero Dawn hit that in like two, three, something like that. So uh, and, and Days Gone ostensibly hit somewhere in the ballpark of 8 million within its first year and a half. So and that and that's considered a, a dud. Mm-hmm. for Absolutely. PlayStation. So it's, you know, it's not that they wouldn't get a lot of talented developers, but we're just talking about two different things. We're talking about Sony potentially losing a very large hit in the casual market. And a lot of people's answers are, well, they can make up for that by buying a, a big hit in the niche market. But the niche market, 8 million is nothing to the casual market, 50 plus million. Um, and I think that that's just an important distinction to make that if Sony's going to make an actual response to Activision 
and benefit in the same way that Microsoft's benefiting, it has to be a larger scale, more casual friendly company than any of Konami or Capcom or Square. So, right, you'd have to be looking at Ubisoft or somewhere along those lines. Take two included. It's, Ubisoft not is much. Ubisoft's probably their cheapest option. Yeah, right now, if they really wanted, if they had to, right now, and they wanted to, Ubisoft their cheapest option. Their best option, in my opinion, is Take Two. Take Two stylistically is so close to their games; they're very narrative driven and story heavy, and they're already known for being. Grand Theft Auto has been synonymous with PlayStation for a long time, mm-hmm. so they just double down and, and strengthen that community, and then they can go. Hey, you take you know you, you're gonna take Call of Duty away from us. We're gonna take Grand Theft Auto away from you. I mean, it's a it's a it's much more tit for tat yeah, than any other thing would be. You know, that would be the one too. And and you could, as funny as it is, I don't even know if you bought EA and said, hey, we can take Battlefield away from you, Xbox. That's really not as important as hey, we can take Call of Duty away from you, PlayStation. But it's at least closer, significantly closer. So, uh, anyway, that is the end of the community stake. Thank you, everyone who responded. A lot of you guys responded. Uh, if we didn't get to yours, sorry, we try not to spend too too long on this, and this was already a pretty long one. So, thanks everyone for what you had to say. We appreciate it. But Chris, I think it's time to break off into the kind of main topic we were wanting to do. Of, and you kind of said it earlier, right? Like you, you think it'd be cool for Sony to come out and be like, "What is our next five years?" Like here, yeah. here's our next five years, even on an idea level. This is what we want you. This is our the experience we're planning to sell you and, and give you as a as a user across the next five years. So since we're not getting that yet, and maybe we do get something like that, but since we're not getting that yet, let's kind of look at what you'd like to see Sony do. If they were putting a, a, a thing together today, right now, that said, this is the next five years. These are the problems that we see, the things that we're lacking, and this is how we tend. This is how we plan to fill those holes. These are the things we're excelling at, and this is how we intend to push that forward. What does that look like in your mind, or at least what would you, as a Sony consumer, like to see? Um, I'd want to see. Obviously, I think we'd have Spider-Man out. We'd have Wolverine out. Um, I'd like to kind of see what hear more of what Insomniac's plans are for those IPs and for their own IPs. I'd hope for maybe that Fabled Resistance collection will be out by then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, honestly, at this point, I kind of hope they never do it, but they keep teasing it because it's so funny seeing people melt down every day. <laughs> You're posting a picture. Where's my collection? And then I keep seeing the Insomniacs Twitter be like, sorry, we're just posting the, the games from our long history. And exactly. I'm like, maybe maybe that's truly all it is. And we're so hungry for a new resistance. Everyone's just like, enough! <laughs> you can't keep showing me these pictures. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think we see I think we see an, an aggressive investment from them. Um I almost think it would be interesting if Crossfire aggressive X, investment in Insomniac. No, well, in studios in general. I'm sorry, I'm talking oh, okay. more Sony. Um, no, you're good. Yeah. I I think the most interesting thing would be to see if you can get in bed with Bungie. That would be a hell of a power move for them. And like I made the joke to you, but so but what does it, what does in bed mean? Buy them and. Oh, okay. That would be a that would be an insane move. What what joke were you talking about? 
Oh, then I want them to buy Bungie and give them resistance and have them just make Halo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be... It, it would be funny because you would have people like... I think I would laugh just because of the irony of the whole situation. Yeah. You would have people who would be furious oh, that, they changed, that they changed resistance into something Halo-like. There would be people, I mean, like <laughs> scrawling into the walls like death to Sony. It really wouldn't happen that, but it, people would be up in arms. You would think that they were like burning down villages by the way they responded on Twitter. <laughs> I, I promise you that. It would be... The, it would be that would be the as big that would be a bigger bombshell than Activision being bought by by Microsoft. I'm being dead honest. Sony if Sony was like if Sony was like we're buying Bungie and we're letting Bungie make the new Resistance title. First of all, every bit of that statement is off the wall. They bought yeah. Bungie, Bungie <laughs> who used to make Halo. Okay, yeah. okay. Oh, you're giving them Resistance, a series that has been dormant since 2011. Okay, and it was never that big of a performer to begin with. Okay. Oh, they're just making it like Halo and then you're releasing <laughs> that on PlayStation? Okay. That, that is a that is a truly like bizarro world, like anti-flash, like he ran too fast in the speed force and you showed up at a that's like if Bungie just made Halo all along, but they called it resistance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just an alternate universe. That would exactly. be insanity. So for you, I mean why do you think buy Bungie? I mean, you know, what what is what is your end goal there? What do you think? Well, I think is, the is end that goal to there solve the, is, is that to solve the fact that they don't have a a proprietary in house shooter, nor do is. they necessarily have a developer that is strictly known for their pedigree. I, I would argue that Guerrilla is strictly known for pedigree in first person shooters, but they not were. everyone agrees. I think they were. Yeah. I don't think they are anymore. But. That's fair. I mean, you've had an entire console generation. So. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that really buttresses them against. Okay, Call of Duty is exclusive. It's like, all right, we've got Destiny. Even if it's even if they don't make Destiny exclusive, which I hope they wouldn't, they shouldn't. But if they at least have that revenue that they can make up with Bungie and with Destiny and with the microtransactions, so they can kind of make it up there. Um, I think investing in them gives them an extra bit of like, okay, Bungie, you have cart launch to do whatever you want. We'd really love it if you did resistance because that would be super funny. But do it, <laughs> make whatever you want. Maybe you want to make a third person over the shoulder action game. Sure, we do those. Done them pretty well. But I don't know. I think Bungie is a great option. I look realistically. I want them to buy Bungie because it would be hilarious. There's no yeah. real reason besides that would be hilarious to me. Um, but I think another thing that to keep the shooter thing outside of Bungie, I think they should look and wait, look at Remedy and be like, how does Crossfire X turn out? Oh, that turned out really good. We're gonna buy you guys. We're we're gonna invest money so that you can open an FPS team. And do our remedy ass FPS, and you can continue making your third person games. You can make your Alan Wake two and your Alan Wake three and your Control six and your I don't know whatever else they're gonna make. And I think Remedy, despite being tied up in a lot of games, like they're doing a ten cent game, they're doing Crossfire X for Microsoft, and they're doing Alan Wake. I think if they can get past. Crossfire X, which is the Xbox exclusive, see how that works. And if it comes out and it's awesome, it's an incredible FPS, 
cool. We're now invested. We're going to buy you up, invest in you to make our in-house third first person shooter, make a multiplayer experience with, with your remedy twist. And you can have investments to do everything else you're doing. Thanks. It's exclusive. I think, um, a while back when there was a picture, I think of Sam Lake, uh, from remedy and I think Shuhei, if I remember correct, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people were like, what does that mean is, did he visit them just to get a look at what they're doing and look at making a deal for exclusive on one thing they're doing, or is this potentially looking at a purchase of remedy? Um, I think Remedy stylistically is such a good fit for Sony mm-hmm. uh, and Sony's things. Because, like, you think about like what Jim Ryan said. This idea of like when, when they had that interview with Jim Ryan about what he wants from PlayStation and what PlayStation is, and he was like, uh, at, "At PlayStation, we're storytellers." Like, I think he has a pretty, regardless of some of the crazy things he said in the past, I think he's got a pretty good finger on the pulse of what Sony is known for in the industry at their largest, which is arguably PS4. Uh, you know, they've clearly sold more with PS2, but they made more money off the PS4 and got a lot of name cash, uh, cachet off that. So when you look at that, I think Jim Ryan's really knows what it is that Sony's doing from an outside looking in standpoint and even an inside looking out standpoint. I think he sees what the, the studios are making and excelling at and what they're bringing to, um, the green light meetings and what they're trying to make. And he sees this is the thing that our people naturally excel out. These are the type of people that we bring in and naturally there our gravity pulls those people in because of what we make. Uh, and so we continue to foster that kind of thing. But I also think it's pretty clear from a number of things that Sony's doing that they want to do better in the games as a service catalog when they just don't have one like mm-hmm. there really isn't what's a first party games of the service game sony has they don't they don't but it's not apparently what's fire spread is it fire spread or is it liverpool who's supposedly working on a games as a service uh no it was um it's not even liverpool it's at least the the what people are running with the rumor is that um london studio that's it london. is is Liverpool's making dead. a yeah, Liverpool's dead, but Fire Sprite is made of ex-Liverpool people. Yeah. So, but London um, was the studio I was thinking of. Yeah, they're doing. Yeah, a, London is London is making a multiplayer game. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be games as a service. But when we've heard Sony say they're interested in games as a service, the closest that Sony's gotten is Gran Turismo Sport. Right. Drive and, Club, but that's that's still not quite there. Right? Drive Club never really made it and didn't continue to get updated. Sadly, but it was the idea was there, yes, and it just didn't succeed. So Sony have been grasping at straws trying to do this. Right? They tried with uh, Drawn to Death, uh, and <clears throat> what was that other game? Um, oh Lord, Killstrain. Yeah, yeah Killstrain. I remember that one. And there was one more that came out that was announced at the same time and it came out roughly around the same area as drawn to death and kill strain. I can't remember what it was called, but either way, Sony tried that was Sony's push for free to play market to an idea to a, a degree. Cause kill strain was free to play before free to play on console was even big. I mean, before Fortnite had come and made that like the thing to do, like you had warframe, I guess, but you, you didn't have games as a service style games yet. So I could see that. Um, I didn't mean to necessarily sidetrack you so much, but uh, so no, you're fine. we know that you're be looking at Insomniac, seeing what Insomniac's doing, kind of get a hint in on what Wolverine, Spider-Man look like. Uh, 
look at what they can get out of Bungie if they could, or potentially Remedy, or both. Yeah, um, both would be smart. I, but yeah. Bungie's more of a pipe dream joke, LOL, that would be really funny. I don't think Bungie wants or needs that, um, but I do think it would be a very good choice. Um, but I think it really, it's a lot of like build studios. That's why I know you kind of talked down on it a little bit earlier with buying the Konami IP, but I think that's a big thing because yeah, they're not buying this like big megalithic publisher that's going to make them money, but they could be buying cache and they could be buying just IP to work with. And ostensibly for significantly cheaper than acquiring an actual studio. Right. Is it worth buying Ubisoft for Assassin's Creed when you could spend probably less than half of that on the Konami IP and make a new Castlevania? Make a new Metal Gear? Make a new Super Monkey Ball? You know what I mean? Like, Well... Well, Super Monkey Ball Sega. But, I know. Yeah. I was trying to pull some <laughs> obscure Konami IP. A Zone of the Enders game. Zone I said of that the as Enders, a joke, yeah. but that would be sick. So, I mean, I, I get you, but, you know, like going back to like the looking at Take Two as a thing, like, right? I, I didn't even bring this up. Take Two owns 2K. Mm-hmm. And 2K puts out like 2K basketball, which is humongous. Right. So, if Sony bought that, again, looking at that from that standpoint, that business wise, that's the smarter buy because you get not only IP to work with and licenses to work with, you get teams to actually continue making those products. The the challenge with something like Konami, and I agree that I'd love to see it, but I just don't think it should be looked at in the same breath as a as a response to activism. I think this should be a separate thing that Sony does because they see the positive PR benefits from it. Is hey, if we can get either ownership or licenseship of these select few Konami IP that are very known for us, right? That Metal Gear. Let's let's see if we can make a new Metal Gear. Let's see if we can make a new Castlevania. Let's do all those things uh, for, uh, I mean, a significant fraction of the cost of any kind of acquisition would be. Well, then comes the idea of, okay, now Sony has to find a, an, an independent studio, excuse me, to work with to make these games, or they have to have an internal studio that wants to make it. But then that means you're stopping the internal studio from making something else. So you're not necessarily getting an extra game output. You're replacing a game output with a Konami one, which maybe isn't the worst idea. I don't but think that's a bad idea at all, though. I, I Ideally, you find a studio that you really like, that you don't already own, and that you're not already partnered with, and you go, hey, let's partner. So we get a, we get a plus one on our roster of upcoming games. Right. And Why then couldn't- you potentially they do a great job on the game and you go, we like the studio, let's buy them. Let's pull them let into me, our fold. Let me give you a nice little pitch here right now. So Sony goes out, they're exploring studios because they've just acquired the Konami IP and they want to make a new Castlevania. And they make a call and they go, hey, Supergiant. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> hey, how you doing? How you darn? You, you want Castlevania? Yeah, that would they, be that would be wild. <laughs> that would be, be really so weird. Good. Yeah, dude, a Castlevania roguelite. Oh my god, it would be sick. That would actually be, dude. Can you imagine playing a game that's as in depth as Hades with its own mechanics that are spe- like specific to the vampire lore and everything going on in yeah. Castlevania? But it has like a dude. 
even a, an art style remotely similar to Hades, but with all the gothic architecture and like real dark blues and purples and blacks and red of mm. Castlevania would be sick. Then, that would be amazing. Like, what about Motion Twin? Be like, hey, Motion Twin, you want to do this? Do it like make it a make it a single player, not a roguelike, but they built Dead Cells. That's yeah, dude. Dead Cells, it. even without a roguelike, is one of the best feeling games I've played. Absolutely. But I think the big thing for Sony, which we've been clear, is just they need to make strategic acquisitions. They need to continue making the games that they make. I've been pretty clear, pretty consistent on the fact that I don't want them to be to push a square peg in a round hole and force one of their studios to make an FPS if they don't want to. If if Gorilla wants to make a SOCOM, let them make it. If Resistance wants to make uh, a Resistance, or if, if Insomniac wants to make a Resistance, let them make it. But I think they should go outside of themselves if they want to do it. Um, I will say I agree with you in the sense of I I would love to see Sony end up with proprietary in-house first-person shooters again because I found that nine times out of ten, I thought their takes on the shooter genre were more interesting because they really pushed them in with this very hardcore, we're still going to do what Sony does. We're going to be story-heavy. We're going to have really interesting lore. We're going to push heavy into why is this even happening and who are what's the impact of these things. We're going to make it a multi-story. And not to say that those things don't exist elsewhere. Gears of War has a pretty deep lore, uh, and Halo has a deep lore as well. Um but I guess what I mean by that is first-party shooters, and that's why I bring up Halo and Gears, tend to be far more interesting to me than big third-party third shooters because third-party shooters are chasing Call of Duty. And the reality is, is that I don't think most of the time that Call of Duty excels at being the best single-player shooters out there. They normally excel at being the best multiplayer shooters out there. But I don't have as much pull towards that so i always love when it's like you get a resistance and they really focus on making a really interesting and fun and different campaign that you wouldn't necessarily find at the triple a level that they're making it here from any other publisher so i want sony to do that because i just think that microsoft has what we just talked about that microsoft has diversity Microsoft has an internal studio that they outright own that they can point to and go, that studio can make um, isometric uh, strategy games. That studio can make first-person RPG games. This mm-hmm. studio can make third-person Western RPG games. This studio can make a racing game that's amazing. This studio here can make a pirate simulator game. <laughs> this studio here, you know what I mean? It's It's... Yeah. It's basically, I think that Sony still has the stronger output of title by title basis so far. I would agree. But Microsoft is going to quickly be the thing of like, well, if you're playing on Microsoft or if you're on Xbox or on PC, then you're getting vastly different games, but they're all still first party. So you're going to be like, oh, wow, look, I'm playing Halo today, but then tomorrow I'm playing. Uh, Gears of War 6 and then the next day I'm playing Avowed which is a first person or you know a first party first person RPG that's cool and you know Sony doesn't really Sony's made all their games somewhat RPG like right because they're trying to help with that but at the end of the day their games are third person action adventure games and that's okay they're great um, 
it's just would be nice to see more. Like I love whenever you have things from Sony like Concrete Genie. And speaking of that, that's something I want to see Sony do. I want to see Sony look at its internal people or, or foster internal studios like Pixel Opus, like they did there, and let studios... There's no way Concrete Genie was like anything more than like a $10 million game, right? I mean, right. if even no that. So, but Concrete Genie was a great game, and it was a really unique example of something that Sony is known for, of pushing really artistic games and letting them have their, their space on that console. And the tone of that game fits with the, their thing. So I'd like to see Sony do that. Continue to find smaller studios or make them like Pixel Opus, bring, studio, bring people together and say, hey, here's a, a studio of 20 people. Here's a $10 million budget. Show me what you can make with $10 million that you can't play elsewhere. Exactly. Like genuinely unique. And I want to see them do more of that. I want to see them look to find a studio that is chomping at the bit to make an interesting first-person shooter, whether that's internal that they already have or if it's an external team. And then they don't have to buy them, but fund them. You know, Say, hey, listen, you can make this game. We're going to make it first party. You know, we'll own the IP. Uh, you can work on the game, but you know we can see what this goes on and if this builds a better relationship. Um, I think that'd be awesome to see. Um, and then, like Richard Schaefer said, I think ideally finding, and this is what I hope Spartacus actually ends up kind of being, is a way to look at putting certain first-party games on day one. And I mentioned this in a conversation on the, on the Discord. Um, but I think the way that PlayStation really responds to Game Pass without giving up what PlayStation does, like selling God of War at $70 because it's a game that warrants $70 because it's a $200 million game. I want to see Sony do exactly what we're talking about here with those games like Concrete Genie, give $20 million to this team, $40 million to this team, $10 million to this team, and have those games be day one, go to their their solution to Game Pass so that you still have that first-party output that's day one, but then go, then leave their big monolith pillar studios to, their, to do the work that they love doing. Find and, and foster more small teams give them budget, utilize your IP, get fanfare out of that. Easier to return of investment if you say $10 million kill zone game. And just see what happens. Um, find a solution. You know, I think that that's the real thing is really look at where you're lacking, which they have mm-hmm. plenty of moments. Find, find your RPG studio. What does your RPG studio look like? Is that Gorilla? Is Horizon Forbidden West far more RPG than Horizon Zero Dawn was? And if it is, great. What do you do with that as you keep going? Do you make that very RPG-like? Or does that risk ruining what made people love the first one to begin with? So I have a feeling that Horizon Forbidden West is going to be more of what we got with the first one. But maybe it's just enough more RPG-inspired that you could see Gorilla making one. Uh, you said something, and it's, of course, been rumored for a while that Gorilla, you know, let Gorilla make SOCOM if they want to. Um, what do you really think Gorilla's second team is working on? SOCOM. You really think that that, that, that rumor holds out? Holds yeah, I do. Why SOCOM? Uh, modern military FPS. <laughs> so you don't think that... I guess my big question there is that SOCOM doesn't have near as much name cachet as it once did. It just and it, and it was really huge early PS2 and then PS3 it really lost a lot of footing. Um, at this point, 10 years on from the previous release, you know, SOCOM 4 was the last one we got on PS3 2011. Um, 
why SOCOM instead of just a new IP? Because um, while it doesn't have cachet, it does have some cachet. So it you has, just think it... Yeah, I just, I mean, go, ahead, go ahead. I just think it has more cachet than doing something else. Like some random... Like, like, what are they going to, you know, what's the difference between doing SOCOM and being like, we're reviving a PlayStation IP for all the fans of the, in the past and we're making it fresh for new players and doing, hey, we're announcing Call of Gun, modern gun fair. You know what I mean? Like, what's the difference? Other than they lose the, the, the ability to say we're reviving an old IP. If I had to really like answer that question, that SOCOM never, you know, really losing most of its cache in the last few games, not really selling well, um, and it being kind of a forgotten IP at this point in a lot of ways. Like even even so think about it this way: you know how many gamers are coming in that are twenty one and under? How many gamers right now that are twenty one? Let's even look at the high the high part of it. How many twenty one year old gamers, which are very important to the market, because they're the people that primarily push very heavily into games like you know Warzone and Apex, and where all the money in the industry is right now. Mm-hmm. Do they even know what SOCOM is? And if they don't, then you run this thing of like it's for them. It's the same as doing a new IP, but for other people and these and this other thing, you run you run two things, right? Both are true. You have people who are so excited that there's a new SOCOM that they buy it regardless of even if it's not even SOCOM by anything other than name, or you still change it up and make it fresh, but you get certain people who are like, I used to, I played SOCOM back in the day and I never liked it. So I don't really care about this when I'm not going to play it because you have the negative cache that that name still carries. Not necessarily that the game was bad, but for people like I tried it, played it, never SOCOM never worked for me. I'm just going to skip this one too. New IP gives that feeling. At least I think that people are more willing to jump in and try it because it has definitely with PlayStation right now. I think they've done an excellent job with their new IP being explosive. Horizon did very well as a new IP. Uh, Days Gone, even if they think it was a failure, did very well as a new IP. Uh, we saw Ghost of Tsushima do better than any game that uh, Sucker Punch had ever done. New IP. So I think at this point, if I was Sony looking in, I would think, let's go new IP. Let's That way we can, it's another, you, you say like right there, right? the PR spin for you is we're reviving an old IP. The PR spin for my version is we're creating another new IP. Look at us while yeah. Xbox is over there trying to come out with the next Elder Scrolls. You've played Elder Scrolls before. You know what Elder Scrolls is. Oh, look, they're going to come out with Stalker 2. Everyone knows what Stalker is. You know, they can, you can PR spin that way. You can say, look at this new IP that you've never experienced before. <laughs> so, you know, but honestly, I'll give you credit. Both are, both of them have their have positive PR spins that you can give to them. <laughs> I just wonder which one would genuinely perform better in market. Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of it is like we need to get the old heads in. I know that sounds crazy, but I do think that's a big thing. Now, what do you mean by that? Like older fans? Yeah, the old find gamers. a way to reconnect with them and pull them in. Yeah, the dudes who put who took the you know the Ethernet connection out of the box in SOCOM 2. You know what I mean? Those dudes. Yeah. And then they need to make the gameplay look good enough to appeal to the younger people who just got a PS5 and this is their first console. But we'll see. Tap into the... Well, well, it's kind of unfortunate, right? I think the ideal time to do that would have been like this year if they were going to release it because... 
for all the people who were kind of like lamenting the fact that the new Call of Duty wasn't that great and everybody like you just wants them to be like, why didn't you just build on the foundation of Modern Warfare, the the reboot? They could come in right now. Sony could be like, hey, you know how you didn't love the new Call of Duty because mm-hmm. it was kind of weird and placed in the old and you, you wanted the more modern day shooter with, you know, military focus that's still realistic. Bam, SOCOM. Well, bam, we got it. I think that could have worked, actually. But I think I timing is going to be weird because now that you have Modern Warfare 2 ostensibly coming this year, they may have missed their opportunity. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. It's definitely possible. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's still going to be different games, right? Because SOCOM is far more objective-based than Call of Duty. Uh, and so it comes down to, or normally it was, right? Does it say that? Who knows? Who knows? So. I hope so. I mean, for me, I would just tell them to remake Killzone 2 and... Oh, what a game. Do the multiplayer again. I can see Rico. Why, <laughs> dude? My dog will not shut the fuck up. It's yeah, about I can to, hear. It's really annoying me. I, if you can hear my dog, I'm sorry. I do not know what's going on. I guess my wife decided to leave, uh, and he's in the kennel. And even I'm though he's happy. not alone, he's just being a butthole. That or someone's walking around outside my house because that's he doesn't normally bark like that even when he's in the kennel. Well, I don't have too much but, more if you want to go handle your dog. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I must say, I'll, I'll get that. I guess we'll go ahead and round the show out right here. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm excited to see what PlayStation does, but I'm more curious to see what if Sony can genuinely be successful in games as a service, even though I don't particularly care about that as much. Mm-hmm. But if if they do become successful in that sphere, what does that look like? Uh, and because it's taken them so long to hit it, like I would argue that Microsoft has been very successful in it, regardless how you feel. Sea of Thieves is a pretty successful games as a service game, even if that's the only one you look at. They have one that consistently performs for them, and it looks like Halo Infinite's going to continue to be for that for them. So that's two. Sony doesn't even have one, uh, but like you said. Don't square peg round hole it. Don't force people to make something they don't want to make. So what relationships is Sony out there making right now with people who are interested in making that type of game? I don't know. Not many. Maybe deviation. We don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, uh, maybe. You know, uh, (laughs) do you see people talking about uh, Sony should buy Epic? (laughs) <laughs> Sony can afford Epic. Epic, Epic should buy Sony. <laughs> Sony, yeah, Sony is, is is invested in Epic, and they're putting money in there. And they're trying to be smart and partner. But I think Sony knows that they they can't outright buy Epic. That's not, that's no. And no. if you bought them right now, what? How do you contend with the Epic Game Store, which is well, a yeah. loss leader for them right now? Like literally, they're just pumping Fortnite money into that to hope that it eventually becomes as successful as Steam. Well, your thing with that is you just go, yeah, this is not the Sony, another option of the PlayStation Store. Because that's what they need to do. I'm surprised they don't have any integration on the PC stores. Like, hey, the Epic Store now connects to your PlayStation Store. If you want to buy, you can buy PS5 games here or you can buy, you know, Epic games or whatever. I think the the problem that would end up coming with that would be the thing of like, well, I already bought Horizon on the on PS5, so why do I got to rebuy it on PC? People would be like, if if the stores are connected, then shouldn't the game shouldn't it just know that I own this game on both? Now I think that that's ridiculous, but people would say it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, and, and because Xbox has that right now, right? Well, if you buy it on, you can play anywhere. So if you buy it on this, you you get to play it on PC as well. Uh, I mean, don't worry, Sony's done that in the past, but you know, but that was P- PS4 and Vita. That was just them trying to breathe a little life into Vita. So who knows? <laughs> 
But all right, Chris. Well, we'll see. And I guess the uh, community state question extends to you. What would you like to see Sony do across like the next five years? If they did a, a, a kind of get together and talked about the next five years, what would you hope that they show you? What do you hope that they would prove to you as one of their consumers? Um, uh, we will definitely get on that next week and see what you guys had to say. But thanks for joining us today, Chris. Thanks for joining me as well. Hey, thanks, pal. Uh, I'll see you on the Destiny 2 train, maybe. See if you come back. You may have only secured on, your way away. Only on Tuesdays. I'm doing all my <laughs> pinnacles and I'm not playing anymore. That's what I told Sean. <laughs> and that's what I'm committing to. I don't blame you. But if we do Vault of Glass, you should at least get on like a Friday if we do Vault of Glass. There you go. Yeah. Well, Friday's not yeah, going to happen. I work in restaurants. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Saturday, whatever. That, that's a pinnacle that you're not getting unless Saturday's we worse, parade pal. on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess so. <laughs> but either way, Chris, thanks for joining me. And uh, hey, remember, if fun. you guys want to be part of our social media stuff, you can find us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in our Discord uh, in the link below in the description. You can find us on Facebook in the Facebook group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Ask to be entered into that, and we will gladly let you in. You can answer the community stake question at all of those locations. Uh, we have a dedicated community stake section in the Discord, or you can wait until Friday when we typically post Friday, Saturday area when we post it before we go to record so that we can hear your thoughts on the things that we're talking about on the episode remember you can always reach out discuss the podcast with us at any given time over on the discord that is the best place chris and i are there saul's there great way to do that uh for all of you who are patrons Thank you so much. And if not, you should consider going to patreon.com slash Nartech, giving as little as a dollar per month, checking out uh, how you can support us so that we can keep bringing this show to you guys. uh, And hopefully you can still enjoy it. But until next week, this has been Triangle Squared. Thank you. Shout out to our patrons. The Lord Corgi. Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Rob Warpoint, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Richard Schaefer, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villalobos, Solitary Red, Jehudi MD, Sean, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, and my name is Dan. Thank you all. My name is Chris. <laughs>